Merry Christmas. Welcome to... Oh, no, Ross... Oh, I think I'm a horse. Okay, yeah. Rossi. I wasn't sure. (laughs) The show where we don't just report on French science, spirituality, claims of the paranormal, no way. We take part ourselves. Yep, when they make the claims, we show up so you don't have to. I'm Ross Blotcher. And I'm Santa. Hello, Santa. Well, good. I'm glad you could join us for this. This is a relevant episode because guess what? Christmas is coming. Christmas is coming. The, the goose go- is getting slim. I thought it would be fun to talk about the birth of Jesus because that's what Christmas is all about. Well, sort of. Okay, let me stop you there. Or I'm stopped. That's sort of true. Okay. Christmas with a capital C is about that. Sure. But, you know, it's a co-opting of a bunch of other shit. Right. So Christmas has a long and complicated story, but what I thought it might be fun to do in the spirit of Bible geekery mm-hmm. is to mm-hmm. deep dive into the story of Jesus's birth specifically. So Ross and I both used to be Christians. Mm-hmm. Ross, well, we were both Bible reading Christians. I think I was probably a lot more devoted to the text and curious about the text than a lot of my other teen Christian friends. Mm-hmm. But I still don't think I would have held a candle <laughs> to Ross's obsession that continues yeah. with the Bible. <laughs> That's right. So, yeah, so you pitched to me like, oh, let's do an episode about inconsistencies in the Christ birth narrative. This has been a topic that's been near and dear to my heart for a long time. First as a Christian, just enjoying the Christmas story. Uh, but then as I was leaving the faith, I found so many interesting aspects to this particular narrative mm-hmm. that I really focused focused in on it and collected a lot of information. And I even did two lectures for CFI many years ago. The Center for Inquiry. Yeah, where we met about, I I called it something ridiculous like swaddling cloth out of whole cloth or something like that. It was really (laughs) tortured, but I was proud of myself. Where I shared some of these observations and I thought this might be fun to do for the podcast because every year it comes around and I think a little too late, like December 23rd, I think, oh, I should make like a YouTube video or something where I just kind of run through this stuff. And then you were like, it'd be so nice if I had a podcast. It'd be so nice if I and had if a podcast. if it even had anything at all to do with religion or <laughs> spirituality, that would be the perfect fit. So this time it hit me two or three weeks in advance. So I was yeah. like, hey, Carrie, what do you think about doing this? And I said, well, I kind of remember what's in there. Fun. Yeah. So then we thought, okay, rather than me studying up and actually preparing, which would be one way to make a show, the other way is make you do all the preparing. And then I bring to you what I remember as the Christ story, what's alive in my brain as the Bible Christ story. And we'll see how closely it adheres to what's in there. Okay. Okay. I like it. And I should say here that I am not a New Testament scholar. This is not my day job or anything. I'm just a Bible geek who's Mm -hmm. Uh, collected a lot of information about this and most of this most of this is just looking at the Bible account itself so most of it you mm-hmm. can just get from opening up your Bible and reading along and being like that's interesting but we'll try to note outside references where relevant now are you going to be using one particular translation uh, I'll default to the new international version okay which, a classic which is yeah the one that I was kind of raised reading what but, up, but I don't think anything particular to this deep dive will be really affected by version like it's kind of true across king james and all the others so for those who didn't grow up with the bible yeah the the bible you know you might hear the word translation and think like 
use the English one. You guys speak English. No, 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 no. When we're talking about translations, that's because you've got like the original text that's in various languages. And even within English, there are several translations that are by different companies that hired different mm -hmm. scholars to interpret what the original text meant. And some of the most popular ones are the King James Version, the New International Version, the New Standard Version. Mm -hmm. New Living Waters is very popular with some like really charismatic groups. Oh, goodness. And then there's ones that just read more as they're trying to be more like a novel, like the message. Yes. And all of these have little I loved the messages oh really yes. okay also each of these has like their own acronym mm -hmm. so kjv for king james version there's mm -hmm. the nasb there's just this long long list of translations and then each of those usually has like a revised version the yep. new revised standard version or yep. the new king james version so niv just happens to be one i think it was published in the early 70s from sonder van press it's very popular in a lot of christian circles because it is readable but i think uh, a fair job was done to yeah. keep it accurate. And there's lots of different philosophies when it comes to translation and, and yeah. whether you do it like kind of phrase by phrase or word by word or how much you try to take idioms and, you know, all mm -hmm. the problems that come with translation yeah. come with these. One that I was turned on to a few years back that I really like is the New English Translation, the Net mm. Bible. Mm. So I'll regularly refer to that too if I'm looking for clarity on something that seems to be a, a translation issue. You will find that after a while they all have new in the title. Yeah. It's like New England. Because it's just like, ah, we had an old one. Here's the new one. They catch problems and they think, mm -hmm. okay, well, that you know, we, we got it wrong. So let's fix that, but try to keep the flavor of the King James. Or and then all of a sudden you're like, this has over 200 new extensions. And you're like, this has been in the copy for a couple years. Right, right. And then some of it, just the phrasing becomes really important because it's been used in Shakespeare and it's been in our collective conscience for centuries. Mm -hmm. You know, and changing these words then really throws people for a loop. And then the originals, the Old Testament, as Christians refer to the Tanakh, the Jewish scriptures, the original Old Testament, as we'll call it here, is written in Hebrew, mm -hmm. whereas the New Testament was written in Greek. And we don't have the original copies of anything. Uh -huh. uh, right. every, everything we have is a copy of a copy. On top of the translation issues, there's also the transcription and rewriting issues. Yes. I don't think that'll come up too much in this particular discussion. But And everything is a copy of a copy of a copy. But sometimes the first quote unquote copy was oral. So it was... Mm -hmm. People saying these stories to each other over and over. That had already, yeah, many, many times, many transmissions. Absolutely. And then the original translation from God to man. So, yeah, this brings up how you look at the Bible and what we're already starting to talk about, this idea of looking at the books critically and thinking, okay, where did this come from? And who was there who actually heard that discussion? Mm -hmm. And how did that get to the person who wrote this? And what were they trying to accomplish by writing this? And let's mm -hmm. look at just this one and separate it from the other one. All of that is in consonance with the historical critical method, which is a scholarly way of looking at the Bible. And scholars have a lot of understandings of the Bible and its composition and where the different parts of it came from that, that somehow drop off before you get to the pulpit. 
Like mm. even pastors who are trained at mm-hmm. theological seminaries, mm-hmm. they'll learn all this stuff, mm-hmm. uh, but then they get in front of a congregation and they don't share that. And no one wants to hear it all that. back down again. Yeah, boil it back down to the most palatable part. Yeah, and as a Christian, I remember this distinctly. This feeling: the Bible is all just—it was one solid unit. It was mm. given to us by God, and mm. yeah, you know, somewhere academically that okay, th- there was a process and different people wrote it, but it was it was all inspired by God. The final version with the 66 books was intended and somehow God had a hand in that whole process of getting it there in English in front of me. Mm-hmm. And I could easily just kind of jump from one verse in one book to a completely different verse in a different book. And if there were any perceived conflicts, that was on me to figure out how to how to reconcile them because the problem was with me or with our understanding of the Bible, not with the Bible itself. Right. And that's known as biblical inerrancy, Mm -hmm. the idea that the Bible is absolutely correct about everything. It never gets anything wrong. So if you think there's something wrong, you go figure it out. Yeah, you have two options. One is that thing you think you know is wrong. This (laughs) is the tack of like creationists is, oh, it looks like evolution contradicts the Bible. Well, then evolution's false. End end of story. The other is to say, Bible's still true, Mm -hmm. but we have misinterpreted something here whether that's we took poetry too literally or Mm -hmm. something was lost in translation or you need to look at the historical context there was some sort of misunderstanding in the reading and and that's what's to be corrected not the text itself right those are the two well i should say those are the two ways to react and maintain a certain level of belief the third way is to decide that the text is false and that takes a whole different personal journey for most people (laughs) that we won't is outside the scope of this particular show but yeah uh, that's a lot of preamble but i think useful preamble and and that's a good point to make too because not all christians see the bible as inerrant right there's I many didn't. yeah and and i did mm-hmm. uh as a christian and so you have to do far fewer mental backflips when you just kind of accept oh yeah well the bible got some things wrong but you know yeah. this is important teaching and here's what you can take away yeah yeah for me i was just like well of course it's not all that's insane of course it's not all correct but i did think all the words of jesus were correct okay so i would look for the, the red, red letters yeah. yeah i called myself a red letter christian I like it. Okay, well, hopefully this gives you some fun things to discuss with your family over Christmas. Yeah. Uh, if you choose to. Actually, I, I never do. I Like, I, I never want to rain on the parade of my family when oh, we're celebrating sure. Christmas. Well, yeah, so. yeah, good. That's <laughs> so, good. <laughs> so, you know, we'll have the little readings and look at our crushes and nativity scenes. And You uh, look at your crushes? Crush. That's uh, just another word for a nativity scene. Oh, I've never heard that. I uh, thought you are just like looking at pictures of people you had a crush on. <laughs> hey, look, there's Jenny Bear back in second. <laughs> Great, pretty cute, am I right? Uh, <laughs> Whatever happened to her? So, so yeah, that'll come up, of course, every year, and I don't want to spark that conversation. But sure. I have a podcast, right? So <laughs> let's do it here. Um, okay, so I'll just follow your lead, but maybe stop me before you tell me what happened. Yeah. At each juncture, you can ask me, right. what do you remember about X? Okay, well, then I'll do that here, and I'll okay. ask you, if you were going to look for... Jesus's birth story and I handed you a Bible. Yeah. Where would you go? Luke. 
Okay. You would look in Luke. I would look in Luke. I would go looking. Okay, so I know that they don't all contain this sort of like epic birth narrative that we think of as the Mm -hmm. birth story. Mm -hmm. I want to say that one of them doesn't have it at all. I want to say it's Mark, but it might be Matthew or both. But I think it's just one of them doesn't have it at all. Okay. I want to say that they all sort of disagree. Okay. And that Luke has what we think of as the birth story. The okay. like three wise men, uh-huh. some camels, little boy in a trough manger. <laughs> okay. Um, I thought you were going to bring in the little drummer boy for a second. I was getting very excited. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was actually in there. <laughs> And there's like a little girl with matches and she dies at the end. There's the little boy pooping in the corner. What's that? In the Catalan region of Spain, Catalonia, there's a tradition of the Caganer or El Cagador. <laughs> and it's a little, a little figure that sits in the corner of the nativity scene and poops. What? To remind you that this is all that real. That everybody poops. Oh. <laughs> to, you know, bring it down to earth. And... You can buy, you can buy little <laughs> Cogginer. Is this true? This is all real. You could be making this I, up and it would feel the same. I shit you not. And I, this is crazy, uh, but you can buy figurines <laughs> no, of a famous like football players, like what? soccer players, the Pope. What? Yeah, you can buy little Cogadors, <laughs> Cogginer figures. What's this of, doing to my lungs? Of various famous people. <laughs> Okay. Um, Another little fun part of the Christmas wow. story, okay. not in the Bible. I'm yeah, going to spoil it. Okay. Nobody poops in the Bible. I don't think so. At least not in that Not story. in that, yeah. Someone does jack off. <laughs> um, okay. So I think that's- No, yeah, I think you sketched it out is, pretty well. Is in is in Luke. And maybe a little bit of John, but John's the one that's like, in the beginning, there was the word and Jesus was the word. And that's kind of all you need to know about that. So I don't think there's very much in that one. But I think it still gives you a little bit of it. I like it. Okay, great. Um, Am I close? I would say you are very close. And I would say most Christians probably do the same thing where they're like, oh, yeah, I know that's in like a one or two books and I can't remember exactly where. And like we said before, they've kind of blended all the details Mm -hmm. together because yeah, it's it's all one book, right? So it's all correct. So I'll say straight out, yes, Luke definitely tells the story of the birth of Christ, and so does Matthew. Matthew's the other one. And you're right, Mark does not have any birth narrative. And John, was I right that it's just sort of like... Yeah, John has that pseudo pseudo (laughs) birth narrative where, yeah, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory, Yeah, Yeah. you know, that whole thing. But then after that, it goes to an event in Jesus's life, and Mark starts with an event in Jesus's life. What what would you say kicks it off for Jesus? Mark? For Jesus as an adult, what sort of kicks off his story? In Mark or just in all of four books? All four books. That's the punchline. But yeah, what is the what is the first event that we see Jesus as an adult? An adult doesn't mean like twelve year old. You mean twenty nine up. Good caveat. Okay. The first Oh man. Yeah, you'd think I'd know this. Okay. Jesus. Ah, 
getting mad at the moneylenders at the temple? Oh, that's a very interesting thing that you bring up because in one gospel that happens very early in his ministry and in the others it happens very late Mm -mm. and that has significance. But the very first thing that we see with Jesus as an adult is his baptism by John the Baptist. Oh, of course, of course. Damn it, I knew that. John the Baptist. So, Carrie, come on, get it together. So let's talk about the gospels a bit. So you have these four books at the beginning of the New Testament. We all know them. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the Gospels, and they tell the story of Jesus. And the word gospel just means good news. Mm-hmm. There, there's going to be a few little fun, like Christian facts, things that we get told all the time in church. And one of them is gospel just means good news. Right. You hear that like once every six sermons. Yeah, that sounds right. Those are kind of biographical stories of Jesus and his life. And outside of the Gospels, we have very little about Jesus at all. And Mm -hmm, uh, people always talk immediately about Josephus, the Jewish historian. Uh, He would have been writing about Jesus somewhere in like the 90s AD. So he was born after Jesus died. But he gives us like our first extra biblical even mention of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So if you think of Jesus as being this major figure, which he is obviously for world history, everybody knows about Jesus, you know, kind of the biggest human of all time. Mm -hmm. We don't hear about him at all in the secular record outside of the Bible within his own lifetime. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing like in Roman writings. There's lots of other people and things mentioned, but he just wasn't an issue. No one was talking about him in any way that we have preserved, at least. And there were historians who who we would have expected to. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And we hear about other things and people that he interacted with. Uh, but then people also talk about Tacitus. Uh, he wrote about Jesus in the second century, early second century. Kind of a tacit endorsement. <laughs> I like it. Plenty of the Younger wrote a letter about dealing with Christians. Small mentions, but at least like, oh, someone's heard of this Christ figure and that he had followers, but no mm. specific biographical details. And sometimes you'll hear of Jesus the magician in these contexts. Boy, there's so many versions of Jesus depending on where you look mm-hmm. and when. But but yeah, outside of the Gospels, he didn't make much of an impact on history until long after he died. Real Van Gogh story. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Unappreciated in his own lifetime. And, and even other books in the New Testament predate the Gospels. Like you have Paul writing very early and, you know, we have yeah. every reason to think that he started ministering very soon after Jesus's death. Mm-hmm. Uh, lots of people are going to write us, by the way, and be like, well, there's a lot of theory that Jesus didn't even exist. Yes. There are. Yeah, the Christ myth theory is very interesting. I've never really been sold by it. Yeah, I I, I would speak on a probability scale here where I'd say like, ah, yeah, I'm like 70% sure that there was some apocalyptic Hmm. preacher. Oh, wow. I would feel much higher than that. Okay. I feel 80 to 90. Maybe I'm being generous. But I mean, there's a case to be made. And if it turned out somehow we got some really good evidence that he was completely mythical and there was no seed of an actual person that matches to his description, I wouldn't be completely flummoxed or anything. And and it says something that someone that important to us, there's this much of a question mark. Right, right. You know, if we found out Anthony Fauci wasn't real, (laughs) that would be, I put that at much less than 1%. Yeah. I'm putting this at 20. And this is all a good point. It's all good context that if this was God's plan for the world, that he chose to send his son at this time where we didn't have a lot of great evidence methods. You know, he didn't send him today where we have so many contemporary books and photography and Mm -hmm. contemporary accounts. Whereas back then it was far 
sketchier in terms of what you actually captured about anyone. Mm -hmm. Most people were illiterate. And I I think it's easy for people to fall into a a couple different mistakes. And one is to assume that everybody had the same kind of knowledge and background that we do now. I think I read a lot of apologetics works and everybody just kind of assumes that Paul and Peter and everybody that we talk about in these narratives was just super educated and smart and knew everything and Mm. hip to science. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like doing a lot of backdating of knowledge into these people. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you can make the opposite error, which is to assume that they were complete idiots. That's not it either. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were just as intelligent as us, but in a different time with less schooling and without printing presses and stuff. So it's without so much benefit of each other's wisdom. Right, exactly. So speaking of the historical critical method, it's just it's important to keep in mind sort of the reality of the situation and keep trying to kind of force yourself into the first century mindset when we're talking about this stuff to think about what was going on. So that, that was all just a long way of saying that we don't get anything about the birth narrative outside of the Gospels. Right. There are a few non-canonical books that may come up a little bit later that, that sort of mention elements of it. But inside the Bible, at least, you got to be looking inside of Matthew and Luke not Mark and John, because both of those just go straight to John the Baptist. And then Matthew tells the birth story, and then boom, John the Baptist. And then Luke, you mentioned it, has this interesting little story about Jesus as a 12-year-old. And it's yeah. this like kind of like, we forgot Kevin moment. Yeah, it totally is. It's totally Home Alone part one. <laughs> and then, boom, straight to John the Baptist. So yeah. already you might start to think, that's interesting. The earliest book that we have, ah, we haven't talked about this. So the Gospels have a certain ordering to them. So Mark. What, oh, yes. Uh-huh. Mark's the earliest, right? Yes. So there used to be debate about this and, you know, people had certain arguments for why you would give Matthew mm-hmm. primacy in the in the list of the Gospels. And so that was the prevailing thought when Matthew was placed first. Uh, but yeah, now Pre- everybody... Pretty much everybody. Yeah. For all, inten- for all intents and purposes, everybody agrees absolutely Mark came first. Both Matthew and Luke drew from Mark, but also other sources. And that's where you get things like the hypothesized Q document. Q, yeah. Yeah, that both Matthew, uh, Luke have things in common that they obviously didn't get from Mark. So you have to ask, oh, well, what else were they looking at that they got those things in common? And then they each have potential other collections of sayings or other proto-gospels that they were pulling from. So there's a lot of things that that just haven't survived because, again, there wasn't much. Also, there was active destruction and covering up of certain documents because they didn't agree with people's positions. And also these were being written on parchment, which doesn't survive unless you copy it. Mm -hmm. And so things that just weren't copied would fall away by default. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we don't have everything. And that's why there's a lot of, I, I was going to say guesswork, but also scholarship involved mm-hmm. in like trying to figure out what we can actually know. So all that's to say, we're going to be looking at Matthew and Luke today. <laughs> okay. Primarily. <laughs> Great. Now, do you know a Luke? I have a very good friend named Matthew, but I don't know any Lukes. Not closely. Yeah. Okay. I think of one Luke that I know from Camp Quest. Okay, those will be our Matthew and our Luke. Okay. I'm going to hold, I'm going to imagine that our lawyer, the lawyer for the show, wrote the Gospel of Matthew because that's, I don't know, it adds a little something to it, a little spice. Yeah. You know what? And I'm going to assume that Luke Perry wrote the Gospel of Luke. (laughs) Okay. That's going to be happening in my head as you tell me this. And just to give people a general idea, because I think this is important, the estimates on when each of these books were written is, of course, hotly contested. Sure. But what is agreed is that they came at least three decades. The earliest mark came at least three decades after Christ's 
dead. dead. Jesus is dead. So there's a lot of time going by. So Mark was probably written somewhere between 65 and 70, most scholars think. And Matthew and Luke, sometime between like 85 and 90 AD. Okay. Okay. And then John is like 200 years later or something. Not quite that much later. Okay. There was a bunch of stuff that came out in the second century that we consider non-canonical. And we're like, okay, that's a little too, little too, little too late. Yeah. That got cut out. Yeah. Right. Gospel of Thomas, Gospel of Peter. Oh my goodness. There's so many people writing proposed gospels and writing in the names of disciples and apostles. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But yeah, uh, John probably somewhere between 90 and 110. Okay, okay, more like 100 but years. Okay. But most people agree that, that it was the latest written. So if, if... I do. If I had to do like my own, you know, like everybody has their... Well, maybe you don't, but everybody has like their own listing of like in which order you should watch the Star Wars films. <laughs> yeah, I don't have that. Okay. Because uh-huh. like number four came out first. Yeah, right. So, so some people are like... the first one I saw. We'll just watch them in the order they came out uh-huh. and then go back Makes to the sense. prequels. So other people are like, no, no, you watch... Well, you skip one and then you watch two <laughs> and, and then you jump forward, you know. The, right. So if I had to order the Gospels, an easy... Reordering would just be to have Mark, Matthew, Luke, John. But I'm kind of surprised that Christians don't start with John because, like you said, it starts with that little in the beginning yeah. was the word. You know, Genesis begins with in the beginning. Totally. You know, so John is John is doing its own thing. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the synoptic gospels or right. seen together because they're so similar and right. share a lot of things. John shares a little bit with them. So when I was a Christian, it was presented to me as Matthew, Mark, and Luke their purpose is history. Mm. Not only are they true, they were written for the purpose of preserving history. Oh, wow. Okay. John, while true, its purpose was this more literary purpose. Mm. It was supposed to be beautiful and you'd sort of dance around the truth with turns of phrase and you're not supposed to read it the way you'd read the log of a ship, Mm -hmm. right? Like Mm -hmm. you're supposed to be interpreting it with a little bit of art. Interesting. Definitely within the... Christian community, I remember hearing that different authors had different focuses, mm-hmm. foci, where they would be trying to, like Matthew would be talking to the Jews, like, hey, let's let's really drum up all of the connections to Moses and to the Levitical mm-hmm. law and all that. Whereas John was, yeah, trying maybe to appeal more to the Greek. So let's include all of this flowery language and poetry and ideas of logos and stuff like that mm-hmm. that will appeal to the Greeks. You know, and, and I think it was Luke who was said to be a doctor. Uh, oh, know, yes. I remember that. So, yeah. So he's going to focus on those kind of issues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so this might be a good time to mention. Sorry, I realize this is a lot of setup, but hopefully this is helpful setup. That's another good point is the authorship of these. Mm -hmm. So these came much later. They were written in Greek, not Aramaic, which Jesus and his chosen disciples would have spoken. All of the Gospels are technically anonymous. Yeah. None of them say like, my name is Mark and I'm here to say... Though though John That's Christmas wrapping. John has a couple references in it where Jesus is referring to this one disciple as the beloved disciple. And at the very end he says, like, and that's John, and that's me. And then during the crucifixion at one point he says something like, uh, that's me, I'm and I'm testifying all of this so you know that it's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. John's like the only one that claims to be directly from an eyewitness and an actual disciple of Jesus. Right. Uh, But there's problems with it because like right after he says that at the end, then they turn around and say like, and we have faithfully preserved what he said or something like that. Like it immediately goes to the we. It's like, well, who's we? Yeah, yeah, Uh, yeah. So the idea is that John came from a tradition of people who were close to John and that he didn't just magically learn Greek and become a scholar and write all this, that like people were talking to him and they preserved how he told the story. That also sounds like something someone just like threw in there at the end. Like the whole thing was written and they're like, and by the way, that's me. 
Yeah. Well, you've got it exactly. So even those little insertions are suspect, mm-hmm. you know, like whether that was actually him. So technically anonymous. And then Matthew, only tradition tells us that Matthew wrote it. Like when yeah. you meet Matthew in chapter nine, Jesus calls him and it's all third person. You get no indication of like, hey, and that was me. And that's right. how I joined this <laughs> merry band of disciples. Right. Mark and Luke weren't even supposed to be disciples. No one was even claiming they were. Right. Oh, yeah. That was another reason why I thought you should order the books John, Mark, Matthew, Luke, because then Acts comes after Luke and Luke, Mm. they're written by the same author. Mm -hmm. Luke was supposed to have been someone who traveled with Paul and knew Paul well, which is interesting because Paul never met Jesus unless you count his vision on the road to Damascus. So for those who don't know, Paul was a almost contemporary of Jesus, but came after Jesus's death emerged. He was he was on the road to Damascus. He was struck blind by knocked off his horse. Yeah, (laughs) some sort of visitation from God decided that he needed to stop persecuting Christians and become a Christian. And he's basically responsible for this explosion of Christianity into the Western world. Oh, yeah. I think it's fair to say that Paul may have more influence on Christianity than Jesus. Yeah. John Shelby Spong would famously say we shouldn't call it Christianity. We should call it Paulism. Yeah. So Paul, from the letters that we have of his, and by the way, this would be another discussion, but he probably only wrote about seven of the 13 books that are attributed to him. Mm. But he, like, Paul couldn't have written a gospel. He didn't know enough about Jesus's life to actually put it down as a gospel. So with this whole issue of who wrote the thing, the reason, though, that they're called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, my understanding is because the Matthew version is, well, this is how Matthew told it. And the Mark version is, well, this is how Mark told it. Is that? We don't even have it that clearly. Supposed to be true? Okay. Yeah, it's yeah, that, but that's purely supposition. That's okay. That's yeah, a guess too. That, that there okay. was a community around that person, but yeah, I mean, it's a it's a reasonable uh, guess. Guess sure. for sure. Okay. Okay, so we did it. We <laughs> thank you for listening to our podcast. Yeah, which is over. That was fun. Oh, let's actually talk about Jesus's birth. All right, so we have just these two gospels, Matthew and Luke, that give us a little bit of intro before we get to John the Baptist, where we get to meet. Jesus at his birth. This might be a good point to ask Carrie to recount her recollection of how the birth went down. No shit. Okay. How the Birth Went Down by Curry Puppy. Not counting Mary getting pregnant. You can count that. Okay. All right. I feel like uh, we're settling into drunk history. Like you should, Oh, yeah. Totally. This would be fun to make the film version of what Carrie's describing. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And too bad we didn't give you alcohol. Yeah. Someone can animate this if they wish. So, Mary's hanging out. And... She is so devoted. (laughs) She's such a devout person. She prays all the time. She loves God. She is a mensch. Okay. God's like, this is the lady I want to be the mommy to my uh, my baby mama. This is who I want to be my baby mama. I'm already seeing Aubrey Plaza playing her. Okay. (laughs) Okay. So God comes. God is. In spirit form, he doesn't turn into a man. He just somehow in spirit forms comes down and has sex with Mary and impregnates her. Okay. Then people are like, well, hang on. You said you were a Virgo. Mm -hmm. And she's like, yes, I am. Uh, Let me think on my feet really quick here. (laughs) Um, What happened was God came. And as you know, I'm so devout, so this had to be what happened. God came. God came and came. (laughs) And now I'm pregnant. (laughs) What can you do? And everyone's like, I don't know that I buy that. And then Joseph is like, I buy it. And I'm your boyfriend, as you know. Mm -hmm. And Joseph 
Joseph is like, I'm going to take, oh, this detail's coming to me from nowhere. I don't know if this is true. I think Joseph is like, I'm going to take you to the edge of town and marry you. Hmm. Okay. I don't know what that is, but okay. Something's telling me that's right. So I'm going to go with it. Okay. He's like, I'm going to take you to the edge of town and marry you. And she's like, right on, dude. So what I'm picturing is he puts her on a donkey. I don't know if that's from the Bible or if that's from a million cartoons, but okay. (laughs) He puts her on a donkey. Trot, 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 edge of town. Okay. They presumably get married. I don't think that's even part of the story. But okay, so now they're in the wrong place, though. They're in Nazareth. When I say they're in the wrong place, I mean because, as we all know, Jesus needs to go get born in Bethlehem because that's Mm -hmm. what all of the scriptures that predate him say. Okay, Mm -hmm. but in this real world of this happening, Joseph gets a letter. (laughs) He gets a letter from the the king. Okay. Uh, who, whose name I think is Herod, okay. unless that's a king from the Old Testament, in which case, fuck me, I don't know. Okay, <laughs> but he gets he gets a letter from, which now that I think about, how are they sending a million of these letters? But anyway, okay, somehow he finds out that the king is like, hey, I'm a tyrant. That's the first, <laughs> that's the first line of the letter. <laughs> hey, I'm a tyrant. Um, I need to know how many of everyone there are. I'm calling it a census. I need to know the shape of things around here, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. But here's something weird about me. I refuse to take any of the census data seriously unless everybody goes back to the town where they were born and that's where we're going to do the census. Okay. And I guess Joseph is like so devoted to like his civil duties that he's like, you got it, dude. <laughs> and then, okay, ah, is this... Me combining it with the Old Testament. I want to say also that King Herod wants to kill everybody's firstborn son. <laughs> that feels like that can't go here. It's like, go back to your hometown and I'll kill you. That can't be right. No one would, no one would follow. So, okay. So I think that might have some... I think that's Old Testament. Okay. So, <laughs> okay. So Joseph, he's at the edge of the city in Nazareth. He's like, okay, I'm sorry, Mary. I know that you're pregnant And this is the worst possible time I could suddenly, like, be really into, like, voting shit, but I need to go back to Bethlehem. And Mary, you know, she's she's so sweet. So they get on two donkeys, one donkey, and they start going back. And I picture it being very sandy. Okay, la, 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 la. Partway through, they're like, it's nighttime. I'm so tired. You're pregnant. Let's stop at a hotel. And she's like, oh, thank you. Okay. So they go to what I guess is the only hotel between Nazareth and Bethlehem. And they're like, knock, knock, knock. Hi, I'm Joseph. This is my wife. We just got married. Congratulations. On the the outside of town. Thank you so much. This is our honeymoon. I'm the worst husband ever. Can we stay here? And they're like, no vacancy. There is mm-hmm. no room in the inn. Mm-hmm. That's a line you hear a lot. There's no room in the inn. Then just is like, fudge. Okay, it's fine. So he finds a barn and he goes to the farmer? I feel like I might be making up a farmer. I'm just going to say that straight up. But I feel like this part must happen. They go to the farmer and they're like, can we stay in your barn? <laughs> You're making a face like there's no farmer. <laughs> oh, I feel completely neutral here. <laughs> okay. So, um, oh, I think I'm combining this with an episode of I Love Lucy. Okay. Okay. There's no... Oh, is there a farmer? 
I think there's no farmer. I think they just find a barn. I'm trying to really tell you without just sure. having fun with my own mistakes. But either there's a farmer or there's no farmer. Okay, they're like, we're going to stay in this barn, this empty barn. It's so cold, but we have to stop. And Mary's like, my water broke, probably. I'm going to have the baby and it's going to be now. I'm really glad we stopped somewhere. This barn is fine. Please just let me stop. Okay. And there is a trough that the animals were going to eat out of. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're like, that's perfect. Squat over that, have the baby. So she has the baby. She puts it in there. Oh, but, oh gosh, meanwhile, meanwhile in the sky. Mm, Yes. There is a star and the star is twinkling over Bethlehem and three wise men this is starting not to make sense to me already in my own telling okay three wise men from the orient i don't know that's how it's always been described are like whoa baby look at the star that means something so one of them's like i think that means that the king is coming or like the messiah is coming and the other two are like you're probably right let's definitely follow that impulse So they also walk. They're just like following this star. Oh, but I guess they're like, we got to bring a bunch of expensive gifts. So they pack those up. Okay, so that's happening. Split screen, that's happening. Trot, trot, trot. They're walking. They have camels in my view. So Mary has the baby. They put the baby in the manger, which is the feeding trough of the animals. The next day? Or maybe it might be like three days later in the near future, but not that day. The three wise men show up and they're like, uh, knock, knock, knock. We saw a star. And she's like, yes, that was the star for my baby who is God. And they're like, ah, it's God. So they say we brought presents for the baby. Um, Here's a bunch of shit no child would want. Here's mm-hmm. like, <laughs> here's frankincense and myrrh uh, for you to burn. Oh, you don't even have a home? That's too bad. Like gold and silver, I think maybe. Well, actually, no, that would be useful. So that's probably not it. But yeah, they bring them a bunch of like shitty child gifts. Oh, and then Mary puts the baby in swaddling clothes. You're always told that too, which like, yeah, of course she did. So she, yeah, she like covers up the cold baby. Good job. What a mom. (laughs) And then they can, oh, this would still just be like outside Bethlehem though. I don't think that would even be in, okay, let's assume that this was just barely on the inskirts of Bethlehem. Okay. So now they're in Bethlehem. They're like, oh, we just made the census. So then Joseph goes to go be counted and- Maybe some more people come to see Jesus and be like, good job, he's God. Okay. And thus, a child was born. And seen. Okay, excellent. Well, thank you for walking us through that. That, yeah. was, that was a good journey. Is that right? Lots of sand, lots of donkeys. Okay, so this is a good point at which to just kind of clear your mind. Now that okay. we've all collectively thought of our Christmas stories. Wash your brains. And I'm going to give you, neither of them are incredibly long texts, mm-hmm. these these stories, but I'm, I'm still going to give you kind of a bullet points, just kind of walk through the, the overview of what happens. So let's start with Matthew. Okay. Matthew opens up with 17 verses that are a genealogy. Oh, right. Yes. It's just like, hey, this is, where, this is where Jesus came from. We're going to come back to the genealogies because there's some fun little stories there. But I'll just say that it starts with Abraham and it, it wants to, it even says like, it wants to show that he's the son of David, metaphorically, right. like he came from the line of David. Because like you said in your account, that's what's important to establish that he's got to be from the line of Jacob. So it starts with Abraham and it just goes goes down, you know, he was the father of Isaac, father of Jacob, and it like keeps going down. Then it gets to David. David was the father of Solomon and, and keeps going 
until we get to... Why do we want him to be of the line of David, though? That is a piece of Old Testament prediction that people expect of the Messiah. Okay. So there are verses in the Old Testament that say, essentially, like, hey, this this king is coming. And yeah, he's He's going to be from David's line. Okay. So it. it keeps going down and then you get to like Eliezer, the father of Matan, Matan, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. We'll come back and do more commentary later, but I already see Carrie's yeah, already a problem. brow is furrowing Joseph there. Joseph like, is his stepdad. <laughs> we have an issue. Okay, so we get our genealogy. Then we shoot to... Mary. She's pledged to be married to Joseph, and she's found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Yes. Okay, um, so far, A plus, 100%. Yeah, it just tells us. We don't see the story unfurl. Uh, getting an A. Joseph is going to divorce her, but then oh. an, an angel appears in a dream. Oh, okay. In a dream. Minus, yeah. Tells him, you know, it's cool. This, this is the is plan. Fine. Yeah, nothing wrong here. And Matthew takes a little moment as an aside to say, like, this took place to fulfill the word in Isaiah that the virgin will conceive. Okay. A little little too much telling, not showing, but okay. He didn't name Isaiah. He said through the prophet, but it was Isaiah. Mm-hmm. So Joseph didn't consummate the marriage until she gave birth to the son. We okay. learned that. So, you know, he's going to hold off on having sex with his wife Broken. until she gives birth to this new baby, which Joseph gave the name Jesus. So it says that Joseph named him Jesus. Okay. Okay. So after Jesus is born in Bethlehem in the time of King Herod, the major. Yeah. Oh, I was right about the name. Yeah. Okay. It's Herod. Absolutely. I'm still doing, doing an A. Yeah. Okay. Magi came from the east to Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. They arrive at Jerusalem and that's where Herod is because he's the king. And they're yeah. like, where's the one born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. Strange. Extremely weird way to greet someone. It says Herod and all of Jerusalem were disturbed by this. And again, we'll we'll offer commentary later, but okay, they're disturbed by it. They all hear about this. So Herod calls together all the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and he's like, well, where's the Messiah supposed to be born? And they say, in Bethlehem. All right, that's Uh a prophecy. That fulfills what the prophet had written. And again, he tells us this was to fulfill a prophecy. Matthew actually mentions it. Yeah, he keeps saying the quiet part loud. (laughs) Exactly. And this time it's the advisors to the king, and they're saying, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, that's the southern kingdom, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Okay. So then Herod calls the Magi secretly, pulls them aside and says like, hey, just between you and me, when did the star appear? When did you see that? Yeah. Because he wants to get kind of an idea of like, how old is this kid? Yeah. Oh, okay. Because I'm doing a census? No. Nope. Or do we don't even know about the census yet? No census. No one's talked about a census yet. Okay. So he's... We're still just in the Matthew account? Yeah, this is okay. just Matthew. Got it. So Herod tells them, All right, go ahead, go to Bethlehem, search carefully, find him, let me know later on when you found him so I can go worship him too. Yeah, okay. Uh, suspicious, but okay. They, they start journeying towards Bethlehem, which is like five miles away okay. from Jerusalem just south and so the star that they saw before shows up again and they're overjoyed whoa star awesome we love astronomy and the star went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was okay great very useful the next line is very interesting it says on coming to the house oh okay they saw maybe it's the farmer's house and the barn is out back they saw a child with his mother mary and they bowed and worshiped him 
and they say child. Damn, if, they in are case that's easily important. persuaded, but and, okay. And they have gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. No silver. Okay, okay. I'm still going to give myself an A so far. And then they, I assume all of them, are warned in a dream uh-huh. not to go back to Herod, so they return to their country by another route. Okay. Okay. Wait, okay. That's it with them. All right. So then an angel appears to Joseph in a dream. Okay. And says, take the child and his mom to Egypt. Stay until I tell you because Herod's going to kill him. So they go there. Oh, so Herod is going to... Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm doing great. So they go to Egypt and they stay there until he dies. Who dies? Herod. Okay. We are told that this fulfills the prophecy. Oh, of course. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Okay. Thank you, Matthew. A little on the nose. Yeah, exactly. Next we get to Herod. So he's still alive at this point. Herod is infuriated when he finds out that he was outwitted by these wise guys. Hey, wise guys. (laughs) Uh, Magi, as they're they're called, at least in this translation. He calls for the death of children two years old and under. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Okay, so it's because he's like, if the king of the Jews is here, he's going to usurp my power. Is that his concern? Yeah, I don't need any new kings. Okay. We'll talk more about this. Okay. And this is to fulfill the word of Jeremiah, the prophet, who said that the voice is heard in (laughs) Ramah weeping in great mourning. That's right. He names the prophecy that's fulfilled Mm. again. After Herod's death, angels appear to Joseph in a dream, and they tell him, go back to Israel. The coast is clear. Okay. So they're like, all right, we can leave Egypt now. And Joseph's just an REM relapse. <laughs> Lots of dreams. Lots of dreams. He's heading back with the family, but then he hears that now, instead of Herod, his son is the new ruler in Judea. And so he's warned in a dream. Oh, my God. So he withdraws to the district of Galilee. Okay. So he's like, oh, can't go back to my home in Bethlehem. I got to go to Galilee instead, some new place. Yeah, okay. Little really did, bossed around by his dreams. Little did you know, this fulfills the prophets. <laughs> oh, my God. That he would be called a Nazarene. It's like a cheating husband coming home and being like, you know, I was not out with another woman because my shirt collar is clean. Look how sparkling clean it is. It just makes you think like, well, did you clean that? Why are you drawing attention to this? (laughs) Indeed. I really had to uh, resist adding commentary on some of these things. But there you go. That's all Matthew gives us. That's the whole story. That's the end of chapter two. Chapter three, of course, chapters are added much later. But that begins with John the Baptist. And if we were doing this as a film, it would say on the bottom. Them, you know, like 29 years later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now we see them all as adults. Let's go to Luke. Okay. So Luke starts out with a little greeting. He almost could have said like, hey, my name yeah. is whatever. Right. Uh, but he doesn't. He just says, many have undertaken to draw up an account. So uh-huh. we're like, oh, who are these others? Because he's probably referring to earlier texts that we haven't seen. Mark doesn't mean many. So yeah, he's got other accounts that he's referring to. I have carefully investigated everything. So I'm writing an orderly account for you. Most excellent. Theophilus. So he's writing it to someone. We know who he's supposedly writing it to so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. Okay. So we're going to take... So he's like writing a book proposal. Exactly. Yeah. There's like a little intro there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I'm going to spoil this here. The whole first chapter is about primarily the birth of John the Baptist. Right. Okay. Right. So this a whole extra thing. Okay. And let's set the stage. It was the time of Herod. There was a priest named Zechariah and he has a wife named Elizabeth and she's also 
descended from Aaron. So, you know, like priestly class. These are righteous people. They're blameless. Old. Yes, that's right. Very good. They're yeah. old. They're childless. Yeah. Uh-oh. So Zechariah, this just happens to be the time that he draws the lot, like drawing straws, essentially. Like it's his turn to go into the temple of the Lord. This is kind of okay. a special place within the temple that you only go sometimes and only if you're a priest to burn incense. And an angel appears to him. And the angels. In a dream. Nope. All right. Just an angel. Okay. Good noticing there. Mm-hmm. Had a lot of dreams <laughs> in Matthew. All right. So the angel appears to him and says, Do not be afraid. Your wife is having a son. Call him John. Again, I'm paraphrasing all this. Just angels really push you around about what to name your kids. Yeah, right? Yeah. No wine or fermented drink. Okay, (laughs) good advice. He's not supposed to drink any of that. And he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. Okay. That's cool. Sweet. And he's going to bring many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he's going to prepare the way for the Lord. Whoa, cool. So, you know, the angel says other things, but he also lets us know that his name is Gabriel. So one of the few times in the Bible we actually get a named angel. Hi, I'm Gabe. I stand in the presence of God. But because Zechariah kind of briefly questioned this, like, eh, but we're old and all that. He says, because you did not believe my words, you're going to be silent. And so he's Hmm. struck with the inability to speak. So Zechariah comes out and he can't speak uh, and he tries to sign. But I guess he didn't know American Sign Language wasn't popular at the time. Mm -hmm. Wait, does he really try to sign? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Eventually, he works out some kind of communication method. But Elizabeth. That's cool. Sure enough, Elizabeth gets pregnant. She spends five months in seclusion. And she's like old, old. Old, old. Like, I want to say like in her 70s or something. No, they don't tell us. Okay. We shoot forward. She's in the sixth month of her pregnancy. And God sends, again, Angel Gabriel to Nazareth. Okay. Now, Nazareth is like... 80 miles up from Bethlehem, like, you know, much farther north than any of this stuff. So it's a little more remote in that district of Galilee. It's kind of like, you know, the boondocks. Palmdale. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure what the equivalent would be in California, but that's where Gabriel goes. And he finds this virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. I love how, like, that's how they introduce her. Like, she's a virgin. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's the most interesting thing about her. Yes, yes, we know it might have meant young girl, but it doesn't appear to have in this text. Oh, we'll get there. Okay. The angel says, Greetings, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. So Mary is like troubled at this greeting. It, like, yeah, that's, the, a weird, that's the, weird. The phrasing of it. Yeah, I like that she's like, oh, wait, what, what's going yeah, on here? Yeah, she's the most reasonable person so far in this story. This is pretty much the second line from any angel. Do not be afraid. Mm. Always got to tell people that. That's right. You haven't seen Midnight Mass yet. Correct. Oh, oh you're going to love it. Okay. You're going to love it. Okay. All right. <laughs> you got to see Breaking Bad. I, I, I got to see it. To I got to see it. But... Oh, Midnight Mass. Anybody who's seen it, they're like, oh, I know what you're talking about. So good. Okay. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you're going to call him Jesus. Stop it with this. <laughs> Sorry. You know, uh, at least you don't have to go through all the baby books. Uh, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. Be great. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Okay. Disagree, but okay. Mary's like, but I'm a virgin. And mm-hmm. he says, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the most. Is mo- that what it says? Yeah. Will come on you? It says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Gross. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So so the Holy One will be called the Son of God. So yeah, nice little euphemism there for impregnating, but it's left to everybody's imagination exactly how that happens. He says, also, Elizabeth, your relative is having a baby too. Uh, Everyone always says they're cousins, but it just says your relative. So Mary says, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. The angel leaves. Okay. Wow. So now Mary travels to Judea. She's traveling south. By herself? Probably by herself. 
Yeah, that's a good point. And she enters the home of Elizabeth and Zachariah, mm. greets Elizabeth. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, yeah, I remember this. And the baby in Elizabeth's womb leaps, leaps with joy. You got it. Yeah. Yep. And Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. So, well, hey, all right. Oh, lots, lots of Holy Spirit being mentioned, which is an anachronism at this point. No one has heard about the Holy Spirit yet, and it's oh. not really supposed to appear until the baptism for Jesus. Oh, right, right, right. And then at Pentecost, after Jesus' death for everyone else. All right. So kind of interloper. Kind of weird that uh, the Holy Spirit shows up while Jesus is still in the womb. And everyone's like, this is fine. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Again, stick to the story here. So Mary sings a song. There's like this like long, like a bunch of lines. And she's singing about how great God is. And I will be called blessed. And God defeats all of our enemies. And he's merciful. And he keeps his promises. There's a lot of that in the Bible. Rick rolls. (laughs) That's right. Never going to let us down. Uh, So she stays there with Elizabeth for three months. And then she goes, home three months yeah long time damn that's a long which makes me think that she was by herself so elizabeth gives birth and they're getting ready to circumcise the child because it's the eighth day that's what you do Mm. they're gonna name him zachariah that's what everybody's thinking because someone made them after the father they're like let's name him after the father and the mom says no he's to be called john we don't know how she knows this but then they go consult with zachariah because they're like well nobody's named that in your family there's no other john that. <laughs> exactly. And so he writes. So he's literate. He, oh, he's able right. to write. He says, yep. Uh, yeah, I told her that. The child's name is John. So immediately after he does that, his tongue is set free. He's able to speak ah, again. Ah, his faithfulness. So then he speaks, praising God. Then he has his own little prophecy. Just like you had Mary's song, there's like, it's Zechariah's song, right. but it's his okay. little prophecy. So he goes off about how God is great and he defeats our enemies. And my child, you will be a prophet of the Most High. Prepare the way for the Lord. All right. So then at the very end of chapter one, the child grows, becomes strong in spirit, and lives in the wilderness until ready to appear publicly to Israel. Like you do. Yeah, okay. That always seems so strange to me that John started out as the son of a priest and then he ends up in the wilderness eating locusts and wearing camel hair. Something's missing from the story and Luke making him Jesus's relative feels a little forced. Mm -hmm. So then we get to chapter two. Now, here we go. This is what everybody remembers from Luke of being the actual Jesus birth story. Yeah. But, you know, we needed that important setup and connection to John the Baptist. So in those days, we have Caesar Augustus, and he issues a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Okay, so I have combined Herod and Caesar Augustus, but I'm still going to give myself an A so far. I'm going to give you a running tally of my own grades for myself. Okay, that's important. Okay, so this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. They put that in parentheses, important for us to know. (laughs) Okay, but we'll come back to that. And everyone went to his own town to register. Okay. So you got to go to your own town, right? That makes sense. Bizarre. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. Yeah. Okay, Okay. so that's where my ancient ancestor lived. I better go back there. So he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married with him, and they were expecting a child. So while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. No room. And then there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. night. Mm -hmm. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. So again, we've got another angel. Okay. Okay. like, I have names for all your future kids. (laughs) 
<laughs> and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But then, of course, the angels, as they always say, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, they all go away. <laughs> They're done with their song mm-hmm. and uh, it's quiet now. Uh, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened about which the Lord has told us. So you know, might as well. Let's go to Bethlehem. Your sheep are going to be so they hur- eaten by coyotes. So they hurried good. off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So that's the main Christmas story from Luke, but Jesus has to be presented in the temple. Mm -hmm. So just like uh, John had to get circumcised on the eighth day when it was time to circumcise Jesus, he was named Jesus. Okay, so now he gets the name, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. So one of those were unfortunately killed for Jesus. Now there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And every time we use the word Christ, it just it's the same as Messiah, mm-hmm. the, the anointed one. Uh, another fun Christian fact. When the parents brought in the child Jesus, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God. So he has his own little song that he sings. It's briefer. This will be a light of revelation to the Gentiles and a glory to your people Israel. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. So anyways, we have this whole thing with Simeon kind of doing this contemporary prophecy. And then there's a prophetess named Anna. She's the daughter of Phanuel. She was 84. So wow, good old age. Yeah. So yeah, she was just always at the temple. So she came up to them and she was very thankful to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. So there we go. We just got that little story for some reason. <laughs> Joseph and Mary, they've done everything required of them. They returned to Galilee, their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. So there we go. That's the whole Luke baby narrative. And then filling out the rest of that chapter, that's the whole story where... They're like, shit, where's Jesus? Yeah, yeah. And they travel back multiple days and they're like, wait a second, where's Jesus? I thought you brought Jesus. No, I thought you had him. And so they have to go back to Jerusalem and it took them three days to find him at the temple. And they're, and they're all upset with him. Like his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And he says, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know I had to be, had in, to my be father's in my father's house? house? Exactly. But they did not understand what he was saying to them because apparently they forgot the whole story that just happened a mm-hmm. chapter or two ago, you know, where he was like this amazing birth where they with angels. No, he is special to God. And then chapter three, boom, John the Baptist. So we get to that story and Jesus getting baptized. Luke pulls a, a little sneaky one on us. He waits until the last part of chapter three to give us his own genealogy of Jesus. 
Okay. Right when Jesus is about to get baptized, he's like, now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of, and then it goes back all the way to not just David, not just to Abraham, but all the way back to... Uh, Abel? Adam. Adam. Okay. Goes all the way back to oh, Adam. Oh, dang, I should have just gone back one more generation. <laughs> Though it was the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Uh, okay. So there we go. We get all the way. So that's what the text gives us. Everything you just heard, that's the whole Christmas story according to the Bible. But you may have noticed that there were differences between those two. Um, a little. Okay. I mean, let's run through them. So first of all, in Luke. Where are the one to two donkeys? Yeah, unfortunately, no explicit mention of the donkeys. That might huh. just be from the uh, huh. little cartoons. The blue... and maybe an episode of I Love Lucy. <laughs> Indeed. And there's no farmer, huh? No farmer. No farmer. No, there, okay. there is a mention a of an inn. No innkeeper either. And sorry to everyone who played him in your school play. Oh, no farmer, no innkeeper? <laughs> That's right. But it is true there was no room at the inn, right? That's in there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, so there was probably an innkeeper. Right. There's an implied, implied innkeeper. Implied innkeeper. Implied <laughs> keeper. Okay. So first of all, you noticed in Matthew, and I emphasize this, there's a lot of dreams. Yeah. Too many dreams. Stop all, telling me about your dreams. All the communication is in the form of dreams. Sometimes yeah. it's an angel who appears in a dream, but it's yeah. a dream. And also Matthew has a lot of like, and this was to fulfill the word of the prophets yeah. that blah, 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 blah. Uh, so that was a Don't huge thing. tell me that. Show me that. <laughs> right, exactly. But, you know, first century. So yeah. different conventions, different expectations. Not everyone at the time might have seen it the way that you and I see that. But you know who should? God, because he's everywhere and every time. And this is being written for us, presumably. Yes. Yeah. I think you'd be like, oh, this is going to exactly. look pretty transparent to uh, carry. Also in Matthew, we have the Magi and the star. You might have noticed those didn't come up at all in Luke. Right. The major thing that I noticed was the Magi versus the shepherds. So no shepherds in Matthew and no Magi in Luke. Uh, And those are the witnesses, the attendants. And then in Luke, you have a lot of angels showing up. There's no dreams. There's a lot of angels showing up, usually Gabriel, but also the angels that appear and sing to the the shepherds. And none of that, like, this was to fulfill the word of the prophet. And then they each have their own genealogies, which we'll talk about later. But one really important thing... I think to call out is this relationship to Bethlehem. Yes, this seems a little transparent what happened here. And Nazareth within Galilee. So, okay, yeah, this is an issue because at the time you had Jesus. And as far as we can tell from looking at the Gospels, everybody kind of knew he came from Galilee. Yeah. That was his hometown. He was Joseph's son, the carpenter guy in Galilee. So then when he says, I'm the son of God, everyone's like, wait, the son of God's supposed to be from Bethlehem. How do we handle this? Yeah, we have an issue here where Jesus is from Galilee. That's how people know him. But wait a second. One of the messianic prophecies of the anointed one that is to come is that he will come from Bethlehem. He will be from the line of David. And that's important. So I think both Matthew and Luke put it upon themselves to be like, well, how do we get him to Bethlehem to make sure he's born there? Yeah. And they find different ways to do it. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite things to point out is a little episode from John, just to shoot to a different gospel, someone who, for whatever reason, seemed to be unaware of these stories and didn't include them. In John chapter 7, verses 40 to 43, upon hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. Others said, he is the Messiah. Still others asked, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. 
Oh, yeah. And a little later in verse Big 52. Problem. Yeah, in verse 52, they replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. And John doesn't anywhere add a little editorial where he says like, but actually they did not realize that he had been born in Bethlehem because as far as John knew, yeah, this is a guy from Galilee. Yeah. Huh. So, so Matthew and Luke both had this kind of need to draw that connection to Bethlehem. But John was supposed to have come after Mark and Luke were written, right? Right. So why but wouldn't he have read all that? It's a very good question. And all huh. we can assume is, again, there weren't printing presses. Yeah. Or it was following a tradition that somehow predated that. But for whatever <laughs> reason, John did not try to shoehorn in the understanding that Jesus had been born in Bethlehem <laughs> or any kind of narrative that gets him there. I respect it. So in Matthew, he who is constantly just giving us the prophecies, like he's aware that in Micah 5.2, it says that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Uh, and he quotes it. It's, it's slightly off, but the major beats are there uh, of what it says in Micah 5.2. But the way he resolves this is that Matthew has them already living in Bethlehem. That's just where they are. That's their home. And they have a house there. Because when the Magi arrive, yeah. they come to a house. Right. And so oh, yeah, okay. you, you see a lot of early artistic depictions of the Magi arriving. And sometimes you see them coming to a house and the child's quite old at this point because the assumption is, well, it took them a while to get there. They had to mm. travel from somewhere. Mm. So the timeline of this is going to be really important and crazy. Like the, the Magi, when did they see the star? When did they set yeah. off on their journey? How long did it take them? Where did they come from? But it's important that we start in Bethlehem and only then after they hear about Herod wanting to kill the child that they flee to Egypt. Right. And then they stay there and then come back. Okay, so... Okay. Didn't this version still also say that he was in a manger, even at the house? Nope. Oh, okay, that was... No manger. One. Okay. Yeah, and it just says... The I still think that was the farmer's house. It says the landlord. child, so, you know, it doesn't have to be a baby. Could have yeah. been a child. It could have been a little Toddler. older. Again, Christians have picked this apart every which way to, like, yeah. try to work out these timelines. But the important thing is that in Luke, there's this whole census thing, and that gets created yeah. as the excuse to get them to come down. They live already in Galilee, in Nazareth, and so they are called south to Bethlehem. Now, that's bizarre, first of all, because they, they mentioned specifically that we're talking about in the time of Quirinius. So here we get to a figure where we actually have extra biblical records mm. of him. As we mm -hmm. do with Herod, we know that Herod died in 4 B.C., there's some people trying to like push like they want that to be more recent like oh actually he died in 1 BC but we have like coins from when his sons took over in 4 BC Josephus actually tells us that it was after uh, I think it was like a red moon like we have a celestial event that really times it and we can figure out like just after the Passover that year he died so we know he died sometime like late March early April 4 BC we have a pretty oh, good wow. ha handle That's on that specific yeah, yeah yeah but there's enough clues so he dies 4 BC now, there's already a problem here, you might notice, is that we're saying that he died for... BC stands for before Christ. Right. So, sort of. So that means that if Joseph had to travel to Egypt and wait until Herod died, Jesus was born at the latest four, but probably five, maybe six BC. Uh -huh. So most Christians now, if you ask them, they'll say Jesus was born roughly four to six BC, uh -huh. which is just funny because BC stands for before, before Christ. Yeah. So, so he was born four to six years before himself. There's going to be rabbit holes here, so I might as well fall in one. Which is really just say like BC would then be a misnomer, but yeah. Correct. You know, you could just say that whole AD, BC system is incorrect. So that system itself came from a monk named Dionysus Exiguus, and he lived in 
the 500s. I think it was like 532 I have in my notes that he proposed this system. AD, we all know as Anno Domini, mm-hmm. the year of our Lord. Mm-hmm. And then you know, before that time used to be Anti Christum Natum. So before the birth of Christ, but we all know it as BC, before Christ in English rather than a Latin phrase. You know, it came hundreds of years later, and he was looking at clues in the Bible where we briefly mentioned it in Luke. It said Jesus was about 30 years old at the beginning of his ministry when he was baptized by John the Baptist. And that's why most people believe that Jesus began his ministry at 30. And then judging by the number of Passovers mentioned in John, they think that his ministry lasted about three years. So most people say he died at the age of 33. Mm -hmm. But all of this gets really fuzzy because you have that problem with Herod, for example. But also we have other clues, like in Luke 3, it also says, In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, these are all historical figures that we actually know, Herod, Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Ituria. So they they give us all these clues to let us know kind of when Jesus was starting his ministry. Mm -hmm. And that leads us to about 29 AD. So if you backtrack from there, if Jesus is about 30, Mm -hmm. this uh, exiguous guy put it about the right time, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of judging based on that. Also, he wasn't aware because Europe didn't really get the concept of zero until like many centuries later. There's no year zero. So there's right. one AD and there's one BC, which makes the math tricky. Oh, right. Yeah. So those are some of the clues that were given. But going back to Luke's account and how he gets them to Bethlehem, he's saying that Quirinius is legate of Syria, or governor of Syria. He was legate of Syria, same thing. And he called for this census. But again, we have extra biblical sources that tell us that he was appointed in 6 AD. Uh oh. Up. Nine years later, after Herod dies, even. So Mm. these timelines are just irreconcilable. Mm -hmm. They can't both be true. And of course, apologists always have answers for this that don't involve saying that the Bible's wrong. Instead, they'll try to say, oh, but they were preparing for the census. What, nine years early? Yeah, I guess this part of it doesn't really bother me. I'm just sort of like, okay, like someone, 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 someone messed some up. dates wrong, whatever. Right. But for anyone who says that this has to be all 100% yeah, accurate, yeah. it's a problem. And they never talk about the census happening or what goes on yeah. with the census or anything like that. But the idea is that they're there. That's all done. They return to Galilee and their own town of Nazareth. Uh, but there's no mention of them running off to Egypt for however long it takes for Herod to die and then going back to Galilee and taking up. So totally different treatments of how you get to Bethlehem in Luke. You know, they can't stay at the inn and so they have to go stay in a barn, essentially. Which actually, now that I think of it, also seems like a jury-rigged, like, Oh, you didn't see them in any logbooks? Um, yeah. <laughs> All the inns were full. <laughs> if we had logbooks then, yeah. Well, good point, though. Someone talked to the guy who runs that inn, and no one saw him, and that's where they would have stayed. Yeah. Oh, yes, that was full. You know, I, I feel like something like that. Okay. In those artistic depictions, sometimes you'll see the Magi at the house, but more often you'll see the Magi with the camels, like you mentioned, and they will come to this barn and you see the manger and all that. But those don't go together, those two stories. Those, yeah. are, those are very different timelines. That's okay, though. I feel like they just have one group of visitors and then another. But if you go visit in Bethlehem today and you say, yeah. show me the birthplace of Christ, they take you to a cave. Yes. This is interesting. I remember Max Lucado writing about this. Oh, interesting. So the cave has earlier precedence in some of the non-canonical writings. I want to say it's the uh, Proto-Evangelium of James, but I could be wrong about that. But elsewhere, it does write about Jesus being born in a cave, and that seems to be very close to the birth story of Mithras. So the idea is that maybe this was borrowed or conflated or confused with some 
other birth narratives of people Mm. who are not Jesus. So a little dicey on where and how he was born. After all this walking, you would think that Joseph and Mary would need some good shoes. Yeah, even more than a donkey. I think it would be great if they had some shoes, but it would be nice if they were sustainable shoes. Yeah, absolutely. If they looked good, they felt good. I'm thinking Rothy's personally. If I could shoehorn (laughs) these shoes into history, I'd pick Rothy's. That's a good idea because then Joseph and Mary would have comfort. They'd have washability, durability. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And I know that I do because I have Rothy shoes. I love them. Maybe you're trying to get some uh, like gifts. You're thinking, oh, what do I get somebody? Well, Rothy's has something for everybody. You could treat yourself or you could find the perfect gift for loved ones with their ultra comfortable washable shoes, bags and accessories. And spoiler, we'll talk about this later, but Jesus probably wasn't born exactly on December 25th. So knowing that you can order these shoes and tell people they're for Christmas. And even if they're going to be a little late, you can be like, December 25th isn't even Christmas. Be a real jerk about it. But yeah, you know, Rothy's are durable, classic. They're sustainably crafted. And, you know, you'll enjoy them year round, not just at the holiday season. I'm wearing my Rothy's right now. Oh, damn. Let me look. These are my night fog. Oh, yeah, they look good. Rothy's. Oh, actually, uh, Car and I just had a story recently. We were we were out in public wearing our masks and getting out of the way for this woman to walk by. And Cara stuck out her foot at this lady and she said, I like your shoes. Ah. And Cara was wearing her Rothy's, uh-huh. the, the black point ones. And the lady looked down and she's like, hey, you've got Rothy's too. Uh-huh. And I said, well, me three. And I stuck my foot out. <laughs> wow. And, and she's like, oh, wait, they have them like that? Like she didn't recognize that, that style because I'd gotten that RS01 sneaker. And uh, I said, oh, yeah, it's like a relatively new line that they have. And she said, oh, that's great, because I tried getting them for my husband, and they only had the slippers, so I'm going to look those up. Nice. So it was super fun, a little a little Aww. run-in we had with Rothy's. That's a delight. You know, I have a Rothy's story myself. <laughs> oh. um, I ordered a pair of Rothy's that were just slightly too small for me. It was my fault. I thought maybe I had my shoe songs wrong this whole time because I had recently gotten a pair of shoes that were too big, blah, blah, mm. blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I tried ordering a size down. And then I was like, oh, nope, these are too small. I'm what I always thought I was. So I initiated our return, turned it in. I was actually genuinely impressed with how streamlined their return process is. Oh, wow. it, was, it was uniquely easy. That's great. Yeah. So also, you don't need to freak out about whether if you get your shoes and you don't love them, what's going to happen yeah. next? You're going to have a really easy experience. So win the gift game this season with Rothy's Shoes and Accessories. Get 20% off your first purchase at rothys.com slash oh no with extended returns and exchanges through the holidays. That's R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash oh no. And you know what Mary also could have really used? Support. Oh, God. Yeah, everybody. All these like angels telling her what to name her child. <laughs> yeah. But in the other account, Joseph gives the name. Like, But it's never Mary. It's never her. Of course not. The ancients tell her to name it Emmanuel. Come on. She needs support. And does she even have a nice bra <laughs> to support her breasts? That is not mentioned in the original text. Ugh, exactly. So if she had had third love, I think that she'd be okay. I think this whole story could have been avoided if Mary had had a third love I think bra. this story would have been better yeah. overall. Oh, definitely. Because because, because Third Love has bras available in exclusive half cups, underwear, loungewear, activewear, in extra small through 3X. Wow. Well, the fitting room quiz is like a personal shopper, but better. It focuses on size, breast shape, current fit issues, your personal style to find bras and underwear that are perfect for you. And Third Love is the largest donor of undergarments in the U.S., <laughs> donating over $40 million worth of bras to help people in need. I have Third Love bras. I love them. 
yeah. end of story. That's great. That's a good story. Yeah, I, I really do. And I feel like here are Mary's three loves. Okay. Joseph, Jesus, third love bra. That's as good an explanation of the Trinity as I've heard. <laughs> so listen, feeling is believing. And you can upgrade to everyday pieces that love your body as much as you do. Right now, you can get 20% off your first order at thirdlove.com slash oh no. That's 20% off at thirdlove.com slash oh no. Oh, and Carrie, look, there's a yes. there's a star stopping <gasps> right above where we are Whoa. recording this. I can't tell if we're in a cave or an inn or a, a house or, or a house yeah, or, what is this? Or and a is field. that a star or is, is there that a, a manger? comet? I don't know. A UFO? But it, a lamp? There is an angelic host. What are they saying? Um, They're singing something. Hang on. Yes. Oh, a scroll has come down in front of me. Okay. Yes. They're saying, happy Yule and joyous Saturnalia, Jesse. You're the best sibling ever. And I'm thankful every day that you're my best friend. It says, I promise next year we'll finally find proof that Mothman is real. Love you lots. Aw. So that was for Jesse from Casey. And they said this before we talked about Mothman. So we're sorry. Whoa. We're sorry. That's true, isn't it? We hope we didn't ruin Mothman. Mothman for you at all. We hope you have a pleasant time and point pleasant. Yeah, I mean, incredible job on Casey's part, though, for timing this in between. Oh, yeah, knowing that that was coming somehow. Yeah, yeah that's true. Cryptozoology with, and with the, the Saturnalia. Yeah, yeah well time. Episode. Wow, wow. It's a Christmas. Casey miracle. is a prophet. Should have been named JC. Yeah, let's give them new names. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, at least we'll give them names to name their children. You shall call your child... Cryptus. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, awesome. Uh, but let's talk about those wise men. These okay. magi. Another fun Christian fact that you always hear is that we don't know how many there were. There could have been mm-hmm. three. Mm-hmm. It's just as plural. There could have been two. Yeah. Could have been 80. Yeah. yeah. Could have been a whole fleet, fleet of them. <laughs> oh, we all brought the same gift. We, <laughs> we, so embarrassing. We just know that there were three gifts. We should mention uh, that historically the three wise men had names. These are not given from the Bible. They're just from tradition. But oh. any ideas what their names were? Gog. Magog. <laughs> um, no, I'm trying to think if I've actually heard this. Uh, Huey, Dewey, and Louie. <laughs> Caspar, also known as Gaspar. Oh. They, they all have like different names and spellings, but Caspar, Melchior, okay. and Balthazar. Oh, I have heard those. So they come from the East. That's all it tells us. Uh, so there's been a lot of speculation over the years about where they could have come from. I've been reading through this book called The Great Christ Comet. Mm-hmm. It's by Colin R. Nickel. The subtitle is Revealing the True Star of Bethlehem. It's beautifully illustrated, heavily footnoted. It's, uh, it's, it's so sad. It's, <laughs> I, I think. I see that it's from Crossway Publishers. So this appears to be a Christian book. You know, he's working so hard, working uh, backward from the fact that, well, we know this all happened literally exactly word for word the way it was written. Yeah. So let's just move earth and heaven, literally, <laughs> to make every word in the Matthew account correct. And every now and then he'll grab a little piece from Luke because he knows that has to be true somehow too. Yeah. He doesn't get too bogged down into it. But what he's trying to do is he's trying to like talk to astronomers because he comes out of the biblical scholar world and he wants to find some way to make all the timing work out perfectly. So we know that they had to be from the East and he deals with the theories. Okay, no, it wasn't. I don't think it's Arabia. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was. He also rules out Persia. That's what I'd always kind of heard as one of the lead hypotheses. But he's convinced that it's Babylon because they had a rich astronomy community. Mm. Um, and Babylon also has a Jewish 
expatriate population. So he's thinking they could have, uh, you know, people who had still been there since the exile to Babylon. Maybe from then they learned about Jewish lineage and they know to look for a sign of a Jewish king, something like that. So, all right, fair enough. Anyway, so they set off. He has this whole thing where, okay, here's the criteria. They have to see this star first and that lets them know, ah, the child has been born, this great ruler. And then a certain amount of time goes by and then they see his star rise in the east I know what you're thinking. Well, they're already to the east. Oh, he gets really well, into... couldn't it just be to the east of them? Yes. You know, they, they need to travel west. It's just interesting that the star appears on oh, the other side. Oh, I guess side. I pictured it like traveling over them towards Jesus. Like, it's like, come this away. Sure. But we know... I'm helping him now. Well, yeah. And he, he appreciates your help. But <laughs> the idea is like the star first appears to the west, apparently giving them an indication okay. of Jesus's birth. Uh, it ascends in the east and then they follow it over to Jerusalem. But they don't know exactly where it is. They get to Herod's. Yeah, this sounds like it might be more than one star, you guys. Right. But we're told in the account, that same star shows up and they're okay. overjoyed. Well, all it takes is for one person to say so. <laughs> and, and it leads them south and it goes directly to Bethlehem and then it stands over where the house is. Right. And it says like, it's right there in the sky. So this is a problem for anybody trying to make any kind of literal understanding of a star. Yeah, this sounds more like a UFO, a plane. <laughs> Right. Or perhaps Superman. a great Christ comet. By the title, you already see where he's going with this. Yeah. He's just throwing everything away that is not his pet theory on how this all worked out. So he's got it all figured out. So they saw the comet that appeared. Let's just go with his account right now. And then it did this little procession thing where it was hidden by the sun for a while, but then it advanced before the sun. And that was it rising in the east. Okay. So when it did that later, then they knew like, okay, well, now's the time to travel. This is important. So they get themselves together and all their stuff. They travel. He's worked this out. Like how long it would have taken them to get from Babylon to there? 28 to 37 days. He says that so many times, which I got to say is less time than I'd always thought in my mind about the journey of the wise men. Fair, fine. Everybody always wants to talk about the meaning of the word magi. I think most people understand that. It's just, you know, they were sorcerers, diviners. Somehow they were interested in what Christians would consider occult magic, or at least at the very least, astrology. Because that's what they're doing here. Uh, The story of the wise men always felt odd to me, even as a Christian. We don't believe in astrology. So what does even all of this mean? Yeah. Like, did God actually communicate through the stars? Does he do that still? Was it just this one time? I don't know. That seems like more physical star, though. It feels different. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it shouldn't feel different, but it feels different. Okay. I mean, maybe there is one exception, but still, it says something about God. Yeah, yeah. And in the Old Testament, it very clearly speaks against people who use divination, who use astrology. Right, yeah. Uh, like Isaiah forty-seven thirteen, Jeremiah ten two. Uh, but yeah, for some reason, these are honored people who do this. You yeah. Know, and and they get the right message. Yeah. Strange. I mean, there's also a lot of stuff Jesus did that would uh, anybody else could have done, and they would be like heathen bad. Yeah, yeah, fair. Uh, when you're God, that's Just the whole Euthyphro you dilemma, you know, like, is it, yeah, yeah. is it good because God says it is? Yeah, or, or is it just versa? good in and of itself? And that's why God did it. Mm-hmm. These are the questions you ask yourself. And according to his story, this, this comet is doing this like kind of complicated dance through the sky. It's looking super bright, clearly, because, you know, that's how the account talks about it. But then it sort of like bends in its trajectory and it looks like it's heading south. And so then they follow it south. He finds a way in the text not to make it actually stand still. 
but just mm-hmm. look to the apparent viewer like it could have been standing still. And then with okay. its comet, it's pointing down at just the house that they need to go to. But come on, if someone shows you a comet in the sky and they say like, find the house that that's pointing at. Yeah, you go, well, I could be a million things. Yeah, and if you step 20 feet to the right, it's pointing at something different. Right, you know, because stars are really far away. Yeah, so clearly the Bible account there in Matthew is referring to something different, something that's like very localized. But again, bless Colin Nichols's little heart. This comet that he's theorizing, he goes through all of these other objects it could be because there's a whole cottage industry of people speculating that it was the conjunction of planets or that it was... Like, like a supernova, that that's what made a star suddenly become like super bright, which I think is an interesting theory. But, you know, he goes through all those and discards them. Then he gets to comets. He's like, okay, well, let's look at the comets that have been proposed. Halley's Comet. Well, that wouldn't have come till 12 BC. So that's too late. Mm -hmm. And then there was a 5 BC comet that was spotted by uh, the Chinese and in their written records. And he says, well, that doesn't quite work out either because it wouldn't have been in the right part of the sky to his credit. And so he says, I know what it was. It was a comet that is not recorded anywhere else, but it happened and it was exceedingly oh. bright. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. what he ends up with. It's just, it's a hypothetical comet that must have appeared at this point and we haven't seen it since then. But that is, okay. that is the Christ comet. It's like he goes to so much work to make this happen yeah, and to make it real. And, uh, and, and then to basically drop us off where we started, which is like, trust me. Right. And yeah, he has to uh, deal with the fact that so many other comets are talked about. Uh And you think that this one, with all the crazy movements and the super brightness, you know, like brighter than the stars in the sky, that somehow that would have escaped records of the Chinese, of the Persians, of It sounds a lot like Jesus, honestly, (laughs) where you're like, well, why isn't there any record of this anywhere else if he was this big a deal? It makes you wonder. And the other major problem is that at the time, people knew the difference between a comet and a star. Oh, And we have plenty of examples uh, contemporaneous to that. So he has to start picking and choosing and saying, oh, well, this person person also called a comet a star and this person said a comet was a star's even though everything else has to be right down to the very letter right right oh right a lot of special pleading i really felt for him he was working hard to make this happen so when it comes down to it the star does not behave like a star it doesn't behave like a comet doesn't behave like an asteroid or a meteor or anything we know to exist in the sky even a supernova Uh, You have to work really hard to try to shoehorn it in. Which is fine. Like, just make it a spiritual thing. It's just like a spiritual light in the sky that they thought was a star. End of story. Sure. Just like the kind of people who get really excited about Revelation Mm -hmm. and try to, like, work out how, oh, the description of the the creatures with the beating wings, that's actually helicopters, the locusts with faces, you know. Right. It excites that same kind of mind. And, And then we've got kind of plot holes with all of this. So they come to Herod, and Herod apparently doesn't have them followed. He trusts them enough to like come back to him. But yeah, why didn't the star just lead them straight to Bethlehem and like just bypass Herod? Right, right. Did God want this to happen so that all the the babies could die? Yeah, or maybe so the news could get spread. Maybe. But as far as we know, whenever we shoot forward 29 years or however long to adult Jesus, nobody seems to know about any of this. No one remembers any of these stories. And nobody in the East later comes forth to acknowledge adult Jesus or interact with him. (laughs) Oh, right. And no one... (laughs) We don't have any records of people in the East, like, remembering that this happened or this local lore going on that we knew of the Jewish king. Hey, Kevin, remember when you went to see that baby? Whatever happened with that? Yeah. It was, like, a really long trip. I don't know. In that great Christ Comet book, the author talks about, and I didn't know about this, there was, like, a really famous event in 66 A.D., 
where the king of Armenia, Tiridates, I believe, came with a bunch of magi to Rome. And it was mm-hmm. like a big procession uh-huh. and the, you know they brought gifts and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And guess what? That same year, you had Halley's Comet come back oh. in 66 AD. And so the author was kind of looking at that and saying, wow, see, so, you know, these things happened. So that's how we could know about Magi. Oh, I I draw a totally different conclusion from that. You see a different arrow of causality here. Yeah, yeah. Which is totally... the person writing the Jesus story was like, oh, it's like that thing that we all know about. Right. Considering that was roughly, you know, four to 14 years before we think that book was written. Yeah. So, yeah. Oops. Oh, interesting. It may have just been in his kind of recent memory. Like, hey, this is a sort of... A big event. Let's use that to show how Jesus is a big deal. You never want to write your apologetic such that you bring me new information <laughs> that's disproving your point. Yeah, and he totally didn't see the, even that option. Aww. Like he didn't feel the need to even address that. Oh man, poor guy. Where is he? Maybe we should send him this episode. Merry Christmas. We <laughs> tore your book apart. <laughs> Colin Nickel. Ooh, he can be on our Colin show. <gasps> He'd be more than welcome. Uh, he taught at the University of Cambridge. Yeah, I picture him. Oh wow, in, that's impressive. In Jolly England, yeah, like he's got bona fides as a theologian. Yeah. Well, you're oh. welcome, Colin, anytime if you want to be on the show. That leads us to the other issue: is the massacre of the innocents. We know a fair amount about Herod. A lot of it was written by Josephus, uh, that same guy who again came much later. But he wrote this long history of the Jews, uh, and he collected a lot of resources on that. And he wrote like multiple volumes on it, and he told all these terrible stories about Herod. And yeah, sure enough, that guy had like three of his kids killed and his wife. He was, oh. he was really worried because he constantly believed that people were trying to poison him or usurp Ooh, his throne. And he was sort of this like regent king of just the southern kingdom, Judea. So he was trying to hold on to this. And he wasn't a descendant of David. He was appointed by the Romans. Mm -hmm. And so he had this kind of jealousy. That's the idea of this upstart return from the line of David. That's the motive given in Matthew. But we have a couple of problems. First of all, there's no historical mention of that happening outside of that one gospel. So for all the bad things we hear in great detail about Herod, doesn't include him trying to kill all of the children. Now, Colin Nickel in this book, he tries to make the case that he says there's like a technical reading where it's not two years old and younger, but it's like before their second year. So Mm -hmm. kind of like cuts in half the amount of time, the age of the children. Mm-hmm. So so Herod's not having as many people killed. And he says, so it was probably only like 15 to 20 babies, which is still horrible. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but n- <laughs> not as bad. But you mentioned this even as you were telling your version of the story, like, wait, maybe I'm confusing this with the Old Testament, mm-hmm. which is really telling because I think more likely this was Matthew trying to draw a parallel to the story of Moses. Moses? Okay, I yeah. was asking myself that. Yeah. Exactly. And we, we see that a lot in this story. There's also that prophecy he names, like, out of Egypt I called my son in Hosea 11.1. 1. Yeah, we're trying to draw back to the history of Israel coming out of Egypt and Moses and say, like, this is another deliverer, essentially. Mm-hmm. So as far as we can tell, that historically never happened. There was no massacre of the innocents, which is great. That's good. More, yeah, that's good. <laughs> more children who didn't get killed. It was just Hypothetically. But all signs seem to point to that just being sort of a a pious invention. Mm -hmm. And you could say the same thing about elements in the Luke narrative, such as Zechariah and Elizabeth echoing the story of Abraham and Sarah, who Mm -hmm. had a child in their dotage. Yeah, a lot of these are running together for me, for sure. Right. Yeah, and it feels similar because it's kind of by design that it is similar. It's a callback. Yeah, it's, it's a process called typology, 
where you look back at the writings of the Old Testament and then you mm. kind of recreate those situations as a, a, yeah. a coda, a repeat. It's interesting that that worked at that time. For me, that's a red flag. For them, clearly, it was lending credibility in some way. Yeah, right. But to me, it's like... From modernized, well, it's just such an that's obvious... That's a problem for you. Fiction, yeah. Mm-hmm. I first heard about that in uh, Randall Helms's book, The Bible Against Itself. And uh, right. he called that typological fiction. You showed a lot of examples in the New mm. Testament where they were clearly just taking an Old Testament story and like, hey, let's tell it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But with these new characters. And it seems like the implication is that in the original... They're expecting the reader to know both versions. It's not like they're trying to pull a fast one on you. It seems yeah. like it's all a callback thing. It, that just must have worked then because God did it once, so God did it twice. I think that's the whole argument, but to right. me, it's just like, well, you stole that. Big red flag. Yeah. 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 That's just plagiarism. Yeah, I and I agree. I think that's probably just us not being able to put our heads in the place of are. a you know, yeah. first century If you live in the listener. first century, please write to us. <laughs> yeah, please send us a pigeon or however yeah. you communicate. A star. A star. Apparently Absolutely. that's the thing you do. Yeah. We will follow it to your house. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about those prophecies. Uh, that one that we just mentioned, Hosea 11. Uh, if you read it, it's really not about the Messiah. It doesn't mention the anointed one. It's talking about something that happened in the past, referring to Egypt, called hmm. my people out of Egypt. Okay. There's no reason to think that it's about this foretold figure. So I think Matthew was doing that a lot, where he was pulling these prophecies and getting them slightly wrong and also pulling on things that weren't actually part of the vision of the Messiah. And then he cited his source and actually, like, shot himself in the foot by doing so? Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, well, like... Buddy. Most people, you know, they didn't have their own copy of the Bible. Oh, well, that's true. That's that's a good argument for why he was doing that to begin with. Right. He's just saying, oh, like the prophet said. And sometimes he would quote it, sometimes he wouldn't. That's that's getting me back on his side about that. Okay. So, so let's go back to that first one that he mentions. This was to fulfill... Yeah. Uh, the words of the prophet that the the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and I will call him Emmanuel. That is the text from Isaiah 7.14. Okay, so a lot of discussion about this one, and I think you nodded to this earlier. Uh, so the word used in the original Hebrew in Isaiah is Alma, which usually was translated as young woman, usually meant young woman didn't necessarily mean virginity. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's another word, Betula, which was a word that was used more often in the Old Testament and more commonly actually meant like an actual virgin. Mm-hmm. So that, that might have been the easier word to say, like if that's what he meant in the original. But we have every reason to think that Matthew or whoever was writing as Matthew, yeah. uh, again, anonymous, was working with the Septuagint translation of the Old Testament. So this was an early Greek translation. And in that translation, they did translate Alma as Parthenos, which also doesn't have to mean virgin, uh, but more commonly does. And in fact, when we talk about Parthenogenesis and creatures like sharks and Mm -hmm. lizards and everything except for mammals, pretty much, they can sometimes give birth without uh, actual sperm Mm -hmm. being involved in the process, if that gives you any idea of that root word there. So he was looking at that Greek translation and he saw Parthenos and went, oh, okay, born of a virgin. All right, well, let's work that into the story. (laughs) So again, there was no need to even make her a virgin to begin with. They're working to fulfill a prophecy. They probably didn't need to work so hard for it. Exactly. They didn't need to change all of history and create this miracle of the virgin birth. Got it. But of course, sex has always been icky. 
and people have always, you know, wanted <laughs> to, wanted to make it that somehow you're better if you haven't had sex right, yet. Right. You know, yeah. wh- why is that important? There's even a wild tradition represented in the Proto-Evangelium of James or the Infancy Gospel of James and believed by many people, despite the fact that Jesus had brothers, that Mary remained a perpetual virgin her entire life. Oh, yeah, I think I've heard this before. Okay, so even better, that same non-canonical gospel tells the story of Mary's parents, Joachim and Anna. Mm-hmm. Uh, guess what? Mary was also the product of an immaculate conception yeah. or virgin birth. I, this is actually something that my church used to toss around all the time. Actually, immaculate conception means Mary was conceived without sex, and- not... I didn't know this, but one of our listeners told us that immaculate conception more formally means that you're born without any sin. Yeah. I I didn't realize that distinction. Yes, I knew something wrong. I didn't know. She was a a virgin birth and born without sin. Yeah, this is something my church obsessed about for God knows what reason. Just one of those little... Interesting, because usually it's only Catholicism or other earlier strains of Christianity. They weren't saying it was true. Oh, They were just saying, but actually that means... It's just one of those tidbits. You know, like someone will just... Get like one piece of trivia yep. and they're just so proud of it. Christian that, facts. This was that. Cool. Oh, I love it. So uh, this came up when I was in high school because I had an English teacher who was really upset one year because we'd had a Christmas celebration. And she said, I just really annoyed that they never talk about Mary's parents. Oh, oh yeah. And so high school me, I said, <laughs> well, probably because it's not in the Bible. And she's like, yeah, it is. Like, you idiot. Uh-huh. Of, cor- of course it is. I said, no, it's not. Here's the Bible. And so she starts like kind of rummaging through. And I was like, well, you'll want to move over. She was like in the Old Testament. You want to go over to the New Testament. And I like, I point her to where the birth narratives are. And she kind of like scans through it. And huh, where's but the you, other one? But you named them Anna and Joachim. Yeah. So how do we have those names? From the Proto-Evangelium of oh, James. Oh, got it, there got and it. There. And she came from the Eastern Orthodox Church. She was originally Mary. No, my I'm sorry, my teacher. Oh, oh, uh, got my it. my teacher was uh, Russian, okay, and so yeah. she had been raised with murals oh, and paintings yeah. and stories that all came from that tradition all that had right. been preserved. I'll give it to her. Yeah, totally. But she was just totally crestfallen to actually oh, yeah. not see it in the Bible. But the important takeaway is that you can't have sex anywhere near Mary. Yeah, she hates it. But there's a couple other problems with this. First of all, the prophecy was unambiguously fulfilled in the next chapter, Isaiah 8. Okay. In verse 3, it says, Then I made love to the prophetess, and she conceived and gave birth to a son. You know, he has a different name, but then again, so does Jesus. He wasn't called Emmanuel, but neither was Mm. the son. People need to follow the rules with the naming of their babies. And then in verse 10, it says, Devise your strategy, but it will be thwarted. Propose your plan, but it will not stand, for God is with us. So right there, it said, ah, there's that Emmanuel, God is with us. So it was already fulfilled in Isaiah 8. So you you have people writing constantly about how, oh, well, this was a prophecy that needed a double fulfillment. Mm. But nowhere in Isaiah does it say anything about this being about the Messiah. This is, again, just another little cherry-picked piece of scripture. Yeah, you can't call bingo twice. Right, exactly. Somebody's already got it. So right there in the text, if you just, you know, like uh, scroll down a little farther in the scroll, you'll see, oh, okay. (laughs) Scroll down, scroll down, scroll down. That prophecy was made and it wasn't about 700 years in the future. Yeah. So the the whole virgin thing was just kind of silly to begin with. But also you had sort of a cultural understanding of virgin birth. Certainly Jesus wasn't the first. Lots of people talk about various other gods and figures who are reputed to have been born a virgin. So that wasn't like a novel 
novel idea at the time. So it's understandable how the writer of Matthew would have looked at this translation and thought, oh, virgin. Okay, well, let's put work that into the story. So then we get to the fulfilled prophecy of Micah 5.2 uh, about them being born in Bethlehem. And that genuinely was one that the Jews at the time, the ones who thought about the Messiah or were expecting this coming ruler and king. And that, w- that was really what the anointed one prophecies were about. Was, okay, we lost our throne. David had all of these descendants who were on the throne, but then we got... Uh, defeated by the Assyrians. We got it defeated by the Babylonians. Very humiliating. But someday, someone else from the line of David is going to come back and we're going to rip roar again. We're going to control all the kingdoms across the earth. That's what all of these messianic prophecies were about. But nowhere in the Old Testament does it like very clearly just lay out like, hey, here it is. There's going to be this Messiah. He's going to look like this. This is going to happen. It's all just like kind of grabbing little sections out of different prophets and trying to make hay out of what they said. But at least that one in Micah 5.2, that's one that people commonly believed like, yes, he will come from the line of David. He will come from Bethlehem, which again is why we had to find ways to get the family there. Okay, and then we have another fulfilled word where Jeremiah the prophet said, Uh, that they heard a voice in Ramah weeping and great mourning, and that's why that whole murder of the infants had to happen. Oh, okay. Kind Uh, of a stretch. That's another one where you read the original and you're like, nope. Yeah. And and even if you follow them down, if you just read the rest of the context, you're like, oh, this is talking about totally different circumstances. And if we say that that need to be fulfilled, then why aren't we asking for the rest of this to be fulfilled? Jesus didn't uh, destroy the Assyrians. Yeah. This reminds me of like people trying to work 9-11 back to Nostradamus and being like, he said there would be two birds who took a shit or whatever. And then they're like, oh, well, the two birds were playing. (laughs) It took a shit. It's hitting a building. Right, right. Yeah, it it is that kind of like, okay, well, let's work backwards from what we know to be true. And then finally in Matthew, he, when they go back to Galilee, says this fulfills the word of the prophets that he would be called a Nazarene. So everyone has scratched their head for centuries going, where in the prophets does it say anything about him being a Nazarene? Mm -hmm. We don't have any books from Isaiah or Joel or Amos or any of these prophets, anything that says anything about a Nazarene or anyone coming from Nazareth. So a lot of people try to say, oh, maybe maybe it meant that he was like going to be a Nazarite, which is one dedicated to the Lord who does not drink ah. alcohol and does not touch corpses. Um, turns water into wine. Yeah, well, kind, right. Kind of a problem yeah. for... Jesus yeah. had some interactions with wine, right? So yeah. uh, he doesn't fit that. And that was just like trying to work it in by like, oh, maybe they were just slightly corrupting the word and we can make it work. I think both you and I spotted instantly, and most people to modern readers do, when Matthew goes through and at each turn says, and this was to fulfill the words of the prophets, it sounds more like he's got a little checklist that he's trying to work Mm -hmm. off. Crafting the story to match the prophecy rather than the story actually occurring as predicted. And and just to get back to the Messiah thing, a lot of people will, will point to certain verses like Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22, to, uh, descriptions of the suffering Christ. But none of these were things that were understood at the time to be predicting the Messiah. So we look back at them and we say, oh, look, David is talking here about someone who was despised and he suffered for our transgressions. Uh, But that was never part of the Messianic literature. No one was expecting that. Instead, they were expecting this conquering king. Right. And I remember that always being taught to me in Bible class and in school as, ah, but, you know, the Jews just didn't understand that there was a different set of Messianic prophecies and that there's a later one coming. And Jesus, when he comes back, then it's going to be that big conquering king who rules all the governments and everything. That's what we're waiting for. And then they'll point to things Jesus said, like, I 
come to bring a sword say well see so he sort of was a conquering king <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and christianity it's really spread and gotten popular so there was so in kind of in a way it's yeah. taken over the world yeah there's all kinds of ways to try to and make what, that work what does conquer mean well let's break that down <laughs> But yeah. when people wonder why many Jews don't recognize Jesus, well, everybody who stays a Jew doesn't uh, recognize Messianic Jews. Yeah, the, aside from the Messianic Jews, the Jews for Jesus and, and all that, but everybody else who you know is still a mainline uh, Jew and doesn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah, that's why, because he didn't really fulfill the actual prophecies that they were waiting on in his lifetime. One time I went to a Jewish service on a princess cruise ship. Interesting. Yeah, because they... They have like, you know, religious services in the shared chapel every day. And we saw a Jewish service and we were like, yeah, sure, why not? That sounds fun. And said, you know, all faiths welcome. We we love to share our faith with you or cool. something like that. Okay. So Drew and I went and it was us, two women who were Jews, non-Messianic Jews, okay. Rago Jews. <laughs> um, and this young man, like younger than me, probably like 28 at the time, and his mom, and they were Messianic Jews. And so he got up and he was like, I've prepared a talk. And then he oh, just no. talked about like why Jesus actually fulfills everything the Jews are waiting for. And the other two regular Jews were so pissed. They yeah. were so mad. And they kept turning around and intervening, like talking to me and Drew and being like, we don't believe this part. <laughs> That's not true. Uh -huh. uh, oh my God, it was so tense. And then at the end of it, they had brought way too much of the um, really good bread that you pull apart. That bread that's like braided. Oh yeah. Um, eat it at yeah, the service. Uh, um, challah. Challah, yeah. They had too much challah bread. And so anyway, this ended with just everyone trying to win us over. Oh, so no. all four people just trying to shove all this holla bread at us and be like, take this back to your room. Oh, oh don't we have oh, the best sweet. bread? So yeah, we end up really caught between these two warring factions. Amazing. And that's my Messianic Jews story. Oh, that's, uh, that's a great story. Well, that's played out in my family many times because I have this Jewish side of my family right. and there are Messianic Christians in my family who very much are excited about their Jewish heritage. My my mom goes to a congregation like that. Oh, wow. And they're obnoxious. <laughs> they do that. Like, I've seen that in person, you know, at a funeral for someone who was Jewish. Well, I, I told you that story before how at my grandma's funeral, my mom got up and oh, she yeah, started saying yeah. all these things. Oh. And that caused a rift in the family for years because she was that person. Yeah. And then let's at, not bring your mom on a cruise. Yeah. And then when my aunt died recently, she was really into all this stuff on the messianic side and was part of this conversation congregation and, and they invited the pastor to come speak there and so he went off on this whole again it's a it's a funeral but he's giving this whole message that's just sort of like a proselytizing thing yeah. and i'm sitting near to my jewish cousin and <laughs> i just i give her looks and i see her roll her eyes but she's like glad to have a few of us there who understand her pain yeah oh <laughs> yeah my God. super irritating Okay, so let's talk about genealogies. Oh, yeah. All okay. right. So this is the fun thing, right? <laughs> so I was, I was telling Carrie as I was preparing for this episode, I said, oh, shoot, my comparative genealogies Excel spreadsheet is corrupted. I can't open it because I'd done a lot of work like trying to write them all down and interesting notes about the genealogies years ago. I've had this. 2006, uh, you said. Yeah, that's when it was last saved. Anyways, so I, I tried to rebuild some of this, but. Extremely Ross problem. Matthew leads off with his genealogy, taking you from Abraham to Jesus. And then Luke in Luke 3, 23 to 38, does this weird reverse thing where it takes you up from Jesus back to Adam 
and yeah. who was the son of God. So, okay. I went through this whole thing with Fred Bell. So remember, he was like, I'm a direct descendant of Alexander Graham Bell. So then I'd right. be like, oh, wait, so your father's name was this, and his father's name was that, and his mother's name was such and such. Yeah, <laughs> you would yeah. call all these strands. Okay, so both Matthew and Luke had source materials. We would assume that they were working from an earlier translation of the Old Testament, as we would call it. And so they would have had First Chronicles chapters 1 through 9. There's this super long and complicated branching genealogy. Very tough to do by text. Uh, Hats off to whoever did that originally. Uh, And then in Genesis 10 through 11, you have the table of nations, which is at least like those early people kind of Adam through Abraham or so. So they're probably working from there. But even then, they're not straight copies. (sighs) This gets really messy because like every translation you look at has a different way of spelling the names and transliterating them into English. And different translations will either add or remove certain people who are in the list. Mm -hmm. And so none of this is clean or easy. But essentially what you have in Matthew is, and he even tells you at the end of it, he says, thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Christ. So he sees this nice little mirroring of groups of 14, which is double seven, which is a magical number. Mm. And he shows that, you know, you start with Abraham. And then if you include Abraham on the list, you know, if you do it one to 14 inclusive, that's 14 generations. Then you get David and it's 14 generations to to Jeconiah, who was the king who lost the kingdom to Babylon. Essentially, they were overthrown, but that's non-inclusive. And then you get 14 generations to Jesus. So, you know, a tiny bit of fudging. There's only 41 on the list, not 42, but I'll give it to you, Matthew. So he's going for that kind of symbolism of the little bit of numerology there. But when you get to Luke, if you kind of furl this all out in the same way, from David to Jesus in Matthew, it was 28 generations. Guess how many generations it is? How many generations? How many? Six. He goes the opposite direction. Instead, 106. 43 generations. Okay, big difference. If you include Jesus and David. Yeah, so we're talking about 15 generation difference. Depends on, again, which list you look at. Sometimes people say it's 41 generations. So even then, you're talking about 13 generations different. That's 200. Well, sometimes the generations are lateral instead of <laughs> vertical. That's something I learned from Bob Larson. So we're talking like 260 to 300 missing years, yeah, essentially. Yeah, problem. All right, so here's another problem. In Matthew, Jesus's father's name, or at least his legal father, people try to make this case. Yeah, why are we tracing to Joseph in these genealogies? Because he's not the real father, right? So, yeah, I mean, unless adopted parents, of course, are parents, but like that's not usually. When you say someone's of the line of, you seem to be making a genealogical point. A direct male descendant. Right. So that's a problem. So let's say I have some important genetic information in the line of Ross Mm -hmm. that I need to pass to my son. Well, I give half of Andrew's genetic information and Kara gives the other half. Yeah. So he has a son and that's another half and it's exponential. So if you do the math, let's say it's generously, it's just the 27 generations in Matthew. We're talking about one over two to the 27th power. We should expect by that math for Jesus to have roughly 0.00000075% of David's genetic material uh, or one in 134 million parts. But in this case- You have the Y chromosome. So I guess something really important must be on that Y chromosome. Of course, this is long before heredity. No one's trying to make that point. Uh, Yeah, and I figure it was really just to say it's going to be 
not so much that like he's going to inherit something as to say like this is where you should watch for it. Mm, sure. Certainly I think they had the idea that something was being handed down physically. We'll leave that aside for a second. So, okay, Jesus, his father is Joseph and Matthew. Joseph's father is Jacob. Okay. But in Luke, Jesus's father is Joseph. And it even says in Luke with a little wink in the nod, or so it was thought. Sure. <laughs> and Joseph's father's name is Heli. Oh, huge problem. Uh-oh. Huge problem. Joseph has two different father names. Uh-oh. Yeah, that's a problem. Huh. And in Matthew, we trace from David through Solomon. It follows the line of kings from Solomon, essentially. But we get there to Jeconiah, who I mentioned, who was that 14 generations to the exile to Babylon. So there was a problem there because Jeremiah curses that king, Jeconiah, and says, because of you know what you've done, you will no longer sit on the throne and neither will your descendants. So Hmm. I guess Luke is aware of that and says, okay, well, instead from David, instead of going through Solomon, we're going to go through Nathan. And he tracks down a different genealogy. But again, having a discrepancy of 13 to 15 generations, that's kind of a big deal. That's a lot of uh, time missing. So you you think there has to be something wrong with this list. And um, there's a couple names that show up, like both of them have... Shealtiel, who's the father of Zerubbabel, and they show up in different places in the list, but they all have different fathers and different sons uh, above and below them. It's funny, too, because I'm sure that these guys, Matthew, etc., they thought they were doing a really good job of making this clean, like... They were doing the same thing this guy, Colin T. Nickel, was doing. Yeah. He, they're like trying really hard to make it work, and they probably thought they really nailed it. <laughs> right. Yeah, and Matthew had his groups of 14. It's pretty clear, a lot of uh, scholars point this out, that in Luke, if you add it all up from Adam to Jesus, it's 77 generations. Damn. You know, 7-7, seven, seven, really no, good. Oh, wow. Yeah, so both of them were trying to get kind of like a pious number worked in there. And just like Isaac Newton trying to shoehorn in a seventh color, just so that, you know, we have a spectrum that obeys the perfect rules of God uh, in the same way, you know, we wanted to make sure we shoehorned in 77 to the point where if he was working from Chronicles or Genesis, he added an extra name between Arphaxad and Sheila. He added a Canaan that wasn't there. Just to, I think, pad the list a little bit. And the same with uh, Hezron having a son named Ram, who had a son named Aminadab. And boy, we're having fun with genealogies now. (laughs) Instead, he adds two people in between Hezron and Aminadab. So he adds an Arni and an Admin instead of the one Ram. Uh, Admin? Admin, yep. Spelled admin. So I like to think that it was a little... That guy runs a lot of websites. It was a little admin error. (laughs) Many people will say that Luke... Because Mary was sort of the star of that show that Mary was actually the one who got that genealogy and that they just said it was Joseph for some reason. Oh, feminism. Okay, yeah. We're pulling a feminism. It's a real stretch because, again, if you're trying to take this literally, it says of Joseph... Yeah. There's no reason to believe it's, you know, Mary is somehow no, from the line of, of David. Not. And again, you have the incongruity with the generations. Uh, so there you have it. A lot of uh, huh. fun little plot holes in the story of Jesus. Uh, totally different stories really don't gel together on the chronology, on the agreement with history, uh, with each other in terms of like whether it was angels or visions, whether it was magi or shepherds with mm-hmm. their flocks. Oh, that's another fun Christian fact that everyone always tries to give, which is that, well, it couldn't have been December 25th that Jesus was born because the shepherds wouldn't have been out at night. There are plenty of arguments. Again, you can find arguments every which way on all these things, but people try to say, no, no, there's breeds of sheep that uh, definitely would be out with their shepherds (laughs) in December. It's not not that cold. 
But uh, people looking at breeds of sheep to make this work. The lengths that people will go to. But as many people have pointed out, December 25th has always been a big holiday and more likely it was just uh, co-opted by Christianity sure. as a good time to take over celebrations of Sol Invictus. Post office was already closed that day. Let's <laughs> right. just use that. Rebirth of the Unconquered Sun. It was also said to be the, the birthday of Mithra. So yeah, I think they probably just said, oh, well, you know, now that Constantine is, is emperor and he believes in Christianity, or at least that he's made it the official religion, we're now going to start celebrating Christ's birthday on December 25th. But it's funny, I found an old clip of Gene Scott, who we oh, investigated yeah, before. Buddy, yeah. uh, he was just snarling at the sheep who believe that Jesus was born on December 25th. No, he was born in September. Oh, all right. He just throws that out there. It's the Feast of the Trumpets. All right. <laughs> all right. Good job, Gene. I should mention also that our friend Colin Nickel, who wrote the Great Christ Comment, he gave us a specific date when Jesus was born. Oh. Just so you know, Jesus was born October 20th, six years before Christ. October 20th. And that's true according to my dad and stepmom's pastor as well. So it checks out. Okay. <laughs> Anyways, I, I think this is very fun. I, for me, this is a great time lining up the biblical <laughs> accounts together, trying to work out the timelines of who was where and when and when they went there, and uh, it doesn't quite add up. It's funny because I've had to do a similar thing for a story recently that's much more contemporary. It takes <laughs> place in, mostly in the 90s. But I get a similar kick out of finding the discrepancies between those different accounts. But these are all people who are alive. And in this case, I'm just sort of like... Yeah, it didn't happen that way. Yeah. So if you start out from a point where you're like, ah, oh, well, these people are writing 70 years or more after the fact. Yeah, things are going to be changed in the transmission mm -hmm. uh, because everything we have about Jesus outside of that starts right at John the Baptist and his adulthood. It feels really tacked on to have these birth narratives like, oh, by the oh, way, for sure. you know, we found this out time wise. That would be like if you had me and, you know, obviously we live in an age with lots more support supporting documentation. But if you just said, hey, Ross, tell us all about John Lennon. And mm -hmm. I had to like tell you about his death in 1980. And I had to tell you about his birth. You know, if, like I had to give you details on the story. I don't, I don't know. And, uh -huh. and I have access to a lot more information about him. Yes. The, You're saying this is like that or it's not like that? Well, it is like that just in the, the lengths of time. Oh, gotcha. Yes. So yes. I'm, I'm talking right now in 2021. So, you know, it was like 40 years ago that he died about that much farther back before that, that he was born. You know, so yeah. similar to the time scale we're talking about. And then you'd need to figure out what source would be a good source. He died before I was born. I never met him. Yeah. Sure. And then I'd be, you know, do I trust Yoko? Do I yeah. trust Paul McCartney? Exactly. Or, or yeah, do you trust like a reporter who's since written about it and seems to be an expert? Like all of those questions yeah. come into play at that who point. Who speaks a different language. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I did avoid going into all of these little extra biblical stories, but there's so many fun things like uh, in the infancy gospel of Thomas, for example, you get that story of Jesus getting lost at the temple, but also stories about him being accused of killing a kid and then bringing him back to life Whoops. and helping Joseph when there's a board that's too short when he's doing carpentry he like makes the board magically longer <laughs> there's like all these little that's stories useful. Jesus was kind of a jerk but I do recommend reading the infancy gospel of Thomas but granted that was written like in the second century so much later people don't think it was real but it's just interesting this miasma of stories that coalesced into the gospels as we have them yeah. and it's just kind of fun to read them and see that even placed next to each other looking at the evidence of the text itself doesn't quite add up. Well, thank you. You're thank welcome. You for <laughs> thank you for blowing up Christmas. I hope that, yeah, I hope uh, you all have a really fun time with your families and <laughs> telling them all this. I think I got it pretty much right. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, close enough. What I think is most likely the case is that you had a startup apocalyptic religion realizing that the world was not going to end as soon as planned. Yeah. And they'd better get busy and write down these stories as the religion transitioned into its new form. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus was like BRB, and they were like, <laughs> while you're gone. Right, right, exactly. Which could be a while. And tacking on a couple birth narratives was just part of fleshing it all out. And those mm-hmm. stories were massaged to fulfill their theological aims. Yeah. N- namely, to put Jesus in Bethlehem. That's one theory, Ross. If I had to guess, the mm-hmm. traditional dating of Jesus' birth, uh, upon which our calendars are based, yeah. is probably roughly correct. Uh, mm-hmm. But Herod, Bethlehem... The shepherds, the magi, a star, and the census had absolutely nothing to do with it. (laughs) If you'd like to learn more about a lot of these specifics and the broader concepts that we talked about here. Mm -hmm. uh, I would not. I highly recommend Bart Ehrman's Jesus Interrupted as a starting point. What was his, what was Bart Ehrman's first book? Was that it? I don't know. He's written so many. Yeah, maybe it was that one, but I read it in college when I was kind of figuring my shit out and was like, oh no. That's the correct response to reading a Bart Ehrman book. (laughs) Yeah, I think I've read three now. Uh, I need to read far more because every time I learn a lot of great new information and every time I think, oh, this is the book I need to recommend to everybody. Mm -hmm. And then I read the next one. I was like, oh, this is the book I need to recommend (laughs) to everybody. Well, that's a good sign. Yeah, totally. Also, we did mention in the last episode that we would be doing our year-end wrap-up with all the psychic predictions. So we'll be doing that next time when we get back at the top of 2022. That's right. We're taking a couple weeks off, but we're looking forward to seeing you in the new year. That's it for our show. Our theme music is by Brian Keith Dalton. Our administrative manager is Ian Kramer. You can support us in so many ways. You can leave us a positive review. That really helps us. Mm-hmm. Makes mm-hmm. us look good to mm-hmm. advertisers and Future people listeners. signing up for the show. Right. You could tell a friend. That's another way to get someone to join. You could buy a Jumbotron. You could stand outside your neighbor's house and sing them a song about this podcast. Sure. Or you could just go to MaximumFun.org forward slash join. Now we're talking. <laughs> also, that is a very quick gift you can give someone sign them up for a max fun (gasps) membership bada bing and they're in nice nice work carry poppy you're too late on your holiday gifts absolutely and remember jesus was not born on december 25th let me get ready for this one i don't care what those dumb news commentators tell you He was born in September on the Feast of the Trumpets, and I wish that all those who think he was born on December 25th could be transported with a bunch of sheep to a pasture outside Bethlehem on December 25th this year and watch the snow fall. The heathen had a good party on December 25th called the Saturnalia, and as always, the church can't stand anybody having a good time. So they ruined the party by trying to make it religious. I've been telling you, don't worry about putting Christ into Christmas, because he never was in it anyway. If you're going to celebrate, celebrate Hanukkah. (laughs) 
Hey there, beautiful people. I'm Travel Anderson. And I'm Jared Hill. We are the hosts of Fanti, the show where we have complex and complicado conversations about the gray areas in our lives, the things that we really, really love sometimes, but also have some problematic feelings about. Yes, we get into it all. You want to know our thoughts about Nicki Minaj and all her foolishness? We got you. You want to know our thoughts about gentrification and perhaps some positive? question mark Uh aspects of gentrification we get into that too every single thursday you can check us out at maximumfun.org listen you know you want it honey so come on and get it (laughs) period this week on tights and fights austin creed better known as wwe superstar xavier woods unbalancing his many passions this dude actually wants these ridiculous things he wants to wear a crown he wants to be a g4 he wants to have a yacht rock band like he wants to dj at a at a festival one day wwe and g4's austin creed on tights and bites find it on maximum fun or wherever you get your podcasts MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.